Morning Project presents. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Generic Video Game Podcast. Episode 32 is about to unravel and promises to be microtransaction free, built from the ground up with all new unique assets, and will ship out to your earbuds in one complete piece. Tokyo Game Show 2017 is in the history books. The resurgence of Japanese gaming continues, as long as you count remakes and remasters, which are being served up faster than a Big Mac and fries at a Mickey D's drive-thru. Halloween is also upon us, which means something even greater than candy gets dished out. New Overwatch skins. And it also marks the rush of holiday titles for Molly and I to discuss. We hope you enjoy our latest ramblings, and welcome to episode 32. Now, to be fair, this podcast has had DLC, so we have to be careful about what the kind of promises we are making. <laughs> Always free of charge. No microtransactions yet. Yes, I'm, I am, I'm size yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, how things been? It's been, uh, it's probably been about five weeks since we've recorded. It's about one month almost to the day since our latest uh, upload. Uh, how's life been yeah, treating you? Yeah, it's been like, like, you know, I mean, like, just like work-wise... I was, I think I've done so far like three reviews this month. And I've got potentially、yeah. more to do, which is a lot for me. Especially, you know, considering the fact that like I play some like really big games at times.、Um, so it's just been like busy, busy with like life stuff and work and all that kind of thing. Yeah, and that's all can be found. Here's a cheap plug at egmnow.com. And I know some of those off the top of my head include. Uh, the Evil Within 2. Yep. I know that being a big one.、Um, I'm assuming Dan Genronpa V3. That was a little bit while, a little while that was, back. That was, was that October? Was, I think that was October.、Uh, Blue Reflection was October. And I'm trying to think. I, I think there w a s only three so far, but I think that also had like one in late September as well. Okay.、Oh. It's been the kind of like situation lately where like it's like I finish one game and I have a second one. And I mean, it's not like I. Can't have that at other times because you know, we've talked before about especially like Japanese, you know, localizers who will have these kind of floods of games come for whatever reason. Um, so it's not like there's plenty of games I couldn't be reviewing, but it's usually okay, what do I have time for and what do I not have time for? But like, it's just been trying to fit in as much as possible, so I've been doing a lot、right. compared to what I usually yeah, and do. I'm just- Taking a look at a little cheat list I made up on my notes.、Uh, another one that squeezed in there was Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite. Yeah, that was, that was September. So that was the kind of start of like the, the most recent blocks. Before that, you know, I had Sonic Mania in August and Hellblade in August, which wasn't too bad.、Um, but yeah, with Marvel vs. Capcom, that was kind of the start of me having just kind of like game, 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 game. How do you feel after all of that? Are you、uh, gamed out, burnt out already as we enter,、uh, get close to November? You still got some juice left in you? Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like I'm mixed feelings right now. It's because、like, I want to just have time to sit down and play games just for my own personal enjoyment.、Um, but when I do that, it's like there are other things I could be reviewing. And, you know, should I be spending my time to do that instead? Well, I'm assuming you're trying to get all of this off your plate、uh, as quickly as possible. Yes. Because you want to put all of your time into the upcoming Super Mario Odyssey. I know. 0.0% interest in that game. No, you know what? It doesn't, it doesn't look bad. Like, it doesn't look bad. But yeah, I can't, I can't even begin to get excited for Mario. 
It looks weird, though. Like, it legitimately looks like a weird game. Um, Like, I just don't know about the whole, like, it's, it's going the Sonic route, where all of a sudden he's in a city with, like, normal human beings. And you're like, this shouldn't be a thing, you know? And then, like, why does Mario well, look so different than normal human beings? And it like, gets into weird, you know, I should have grabbed conversations. I should have grabbed one of my recent pickups of Edge Magazine. I have an Edge Magazine in front of me, but it's the new annual that just came out. And no, we're not sponsored by them. Uh, but the other, the recent issue had Super Mario Odyssey on the cover, and I should have uh, grabbed that because they actually get into the uh, mindset behind it. And there's a lot of things that occurs in this uh, version of Mario, which are not traditional and kind of goes against the grain of what we know as Mario. But I guess, it, you know, and obviously they still make it work. But I mean, it's been a while since we've had this kind of Mario, right? Like, I'm, I guess if you consider Galaxy the style of Mario... Like part of me almost wants to say, you know, like, is this going back to the kind of Mario sixty four world? Because you know, we, there was it was Sunshine, but Sunshine, I, I, from what I know of it, seemed like kind of like a different game because you know he had this kind of gimmick mechanic that was going on, right? And it wasn't like more classic Mario. And you could say, well, he has a gimmick mechanic in Odyssey too, but not kind of in the same way that he had it in Sunshine. Right. So I guess the question, like, I don't know, like, but you know, among more hardcore Mario fans, do they consider uh, get the galaxies to be that kind of Mario 64 style of Mario, or is it something different? Yeah, I think, I think drawing uh, parallels to, to uh, Mario 64 is fair. You know, the big thing with this is the cap, which you can throw at your enemies and ca- like capture certain uh, uh, like different powers and abilities. Uh, also, this was to my surprise, within the last week's uh, GameStop seems to have gotten a timed demo, which I did see firsthand recently, so I have seen Odyssey running firsthand. Uh, the cap, uh, when utilized, I don't know why, but it, it reminded me of the boomerang uh, attribute, which was in Super Mario 3D Land on 3DS, and I'm sure it was in other Mario games as well. Obviously, because throwing the cap coming back to you like a boomerang, uh, obviously the big difference is capturing different attributes and abilities. Um, you know, once again, I, I've said this on the Wii U, I'll say it again with the Switch, and I know it's going to get tiring to hear, you know, the one thing I will say about Mario, like many other first-party Nintendo titles, is it has that great uh, Nintendo art direction and aesthetic. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I just threw that out there to uh, give you a hard time, but some of the, review, the reviews have started to come out, and uh, I'm sure as you've seen. this is so, It's so funny how this works out, because Edge, I think, had the first world exclusive. They gave it a 10. One of only 19 perfect 10s they've given in publication history since 1993. And we've seen other sites popping up with 10s. But it's so funny because Famitsu, you know, Famitsu gets a bad rap. And this is by no means sticking up for them. Or, you know, there's been a lot of weird stuff that's gone on with that magazine over the years. And, you know, they've given 40s to certain games where people are like, ooh, you know, that did they get bought off on that? And it's so odd when a game like this comes out and much of the world agrees in giving it a perfect score Famitsu gave it a 39 out of 40 which by the way can we say that that uh a 10 out of 10 is not a perfect score anthony i i i take umbrage with your uh insinuating that it is it is not perfect but yes but you know what i mean isn't it kind of funny how that works out though mario fan or not like a title like that comes out although i do believe Famitsu did give zelda breath of the wild uh the coveted 40 out of 40 but 
No, people like ice. people. It's it. Yeah. It is funny. Like Famitsu is a weird thing because people will say until they're out of breath that Famitsu scores don't matter, right. and then a score will come out that they disagree with, and then they'll just <laughs> get up in arms about it. And it's like, but you said it. They don't matter. You know. Like you said, you don't care. So, <sighs> like, why does it matter? Mm. So you know. Okay. So wait. Uh, speaking of Famitsu, because it just 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 happened to be like before we got onto the podcast i was reading um this thread about uh famitsu's original review of final fantasy 4 and which would be final fantasy 2 stateside yes um which got a 9 9 10 8 and there are some really really interesting comments you know about like one person said Special effects in the game hurt his eyes, for example. Uh, and they were all talking about wow. how much of a, like, it felt more like a movie than a game, which is funny. It's so funny wow. to hear that kind of comment about Final Fantasy IV, given where Final Fantasy has gone since then. Absolutely. But even at that point, they're like, this, this feels less like an RPG and more like a, a movie that we're playing. Um, but, so in that, in that thread, they happen to have a couple other examples of some of the reviews. Uh, and they have the reviews for the original Mega Man. So my, oh, okay. my my query to you, Anthony, is what scores did Famitsu give the original Mega Man? Which, of course, in Japan is known as Rockman. Uh, I'm not cheating. I don't have any of this in front of me. You know, Rockman Mega Man is heralded as a, as a classic. Um... Which I re- didn't realize, by the way, that Mega Man is, was, was as popular as he was up until about maybe 15 years ago. Not saying I dislike the series personally, but like uh, growing up for me, I was always really big on Strider. And I didn't understand why Strider didn't have the number of sequels that Mega Man received. Hmm. That aside, um, I, I was just so shocked as to how many people that love it. Especially the early ones because of the you know limited directional shooting, uh, the unforgiving difficulty. Uh, I'm almost done with my rant. You know, if I would have picked the one, the greatest Mega Man game created, my opinion, uh, and I think KG Inafune felt this at the time as well. He felt he could take it no further. Mega Man X4. Um, but getting back on topic, yeah, I, I don't, I don't care about the X games for some reason. Like, I, it's, it's really weird because Mega Man's one of those games where, as soon as it went from 8 bit to 16 bit, I, I lost all interest in it. Because I just like that 16-bit look, I can't stand it for Mega Man. See, and it's so funny. I feel the opposite, especially with, well, especially with the X games on PlayStation 1, in particular 4. Uh, 5 and 6 were kind of really, you know, what's that term, jump the shark. But Mega Man X4 was really, I love the look of that game and the way it played, especially with like the wall grabbing and, and other abilities. Not that you couldn't do that in previous installments of X. Um, I guess I kind of have the opposite opinion on that. Uh, really had got drove that anime look home, which I loved. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I, I'm gonna say at the time because you know who could see the future. I'm gonna say they gave it straight up, straight sevens. Mm, interesting. You are you are half correct. Uh, it got two sevens, and it got two fives. Wow. So five seven seven five was the scores from the original Mega Man. Wow. Which is crazy. I mean, like, it's, you know, I, I'm kind of with you as I can't completely blame them because, you know, in, in my world, if you're asking what the best Mega Man is, you know, I'd say Mega Man 2. And I have 
you know, as many people as are on your side, probably with, with the X series and which one was the best. I think there's equal amount of people who think Mega Man 2 is the best one. I think for mainline, like traditional Mega Man series, before we got into all the bells and whistles, uh, yes, I, many people consider Mega Man 2 the greatest. I think taking into diff, you know different gameplay ideas and, and, you know, tightening everything up, I think X4 is on that list. But yes, for traditional Mega Man, 2 is probably the, the king. But, you know... The difference between one and two is just like uh, you know Grand Canyon sized. Like they the there's so many things if if you haven't played it that if you go back to one it feels really weird. Like you can you can definitely tell this was a a franchise that they really hadn't completely figured out yet. Um, because that if you play like two three four five six they all have a very very similar feel they have you know refinements and revisions and additions and things like that but like one feels so weird compared to other ones because you know one was a a game where you would actually you know of course there was six you know six bosses instead of eight and you would actually go back to stages to get things after you'd already beat them you know which is not you don't even consider that like in 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 you know all the following Mega Man games, right? But yeah, there it's so I. That's not completely surprising to me that they would give it a five seven seven five. But that's still a little bit surprising that even like the original Mega Man would get like that low of a score. And then, yeah, a pair of fives in there is pretty. Uh, I know. I think on your scale, you consider that average, like kind of the level bar. But you know, for the most part, for how people think and for something like that, you know, a five is pretty. That's low. Yeah. You know, yeah. But um, but yeah. Uh, with that being said, you know a lot of stuff. Oh, I'm sorry. Is I'm talking. Wait, wait. I'm sorry. I'm oh. sorry. I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah. I uh, and I yep. didn't even realize that. Um, because on the Sunset pages, Rockman, uh, is the original Final Fantasy, which got eight nine nine eight. But I just realized on the exact same page is also Metal Gear. So I'm going to ask you again, what do you think well, the original Metal Gear got? And mind you, I'm, I'm unprepared coming into this segment, which is totally fine. I like that, where it's sort of like a real conversation. So Metal Gear, I'll bore you a little before I get into the numbers. Metal Gear, and I'm not just saying this, at the time, I remember owning that game uh, on NES when it came out. And um, yeah, I'm making sure in my head that that's not the one where the end boss was the computer and they jacked it up. That was Metal Gear 2, I believe. Yeah, so the original Metal Gear I remember having at the time, and this was at a time when it had few games. Um, I remember playing it a lot and enjoying it, and that was a time when I completed all of the games I'd gotten, but I truly cannot remember if I really beat that game at the time. It's been so long. Mm, you know, you got to figure it had to be given credit for innovation at the time because that's still something that up until many years later still really wasn't copied. And as we know, it was all done due to hardware limitations, I think, on the MSX at the time. But with that being said, I'm going to say that did better than Rockman. So that was a pair of fives and a pair of sevens. Yeah. I'm going to say this was a pair of eights and a pair of sevens. So uh, Metal Gear actually ended up getting the exact same score as Rockman did. Wow. Just different actual numbers. So it got six, six, seven, five. That's crazy. Wow. Okay, so so Mega Man, original Mega Man, I can understand. You know, because right. it, it was a rough game, and it was a hard game. Um, 
but man, giving those kind of scores to the original Metal Gear, like at the time, I thought that was such an amazing game. Yeah, because it felt very, it felt just yeah. so big and so epic and so different. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. I'm really surprised uh, at those scores. Yeah, where where are you seeing this? Is this on a new GAF thread? Yeah, yeah, I knew it was just a scan of the page because it was. It's got Final Fantasy, Mega Man, uh, Tokimeki Memorial High School, or Tokimeki High School, and Metal Gear. The four games. And I almost wonder, this is all going off memory. I'm assuming those are all Famicom games you listed, correct? Yeah. Didn't, uh, wasn't it like Famicom Sushin or something like that? F- uh, Famitsu, which now obviously covers everything, but the early, early days, were they not, uh, weren't they Famicom only? That's, I, I, I th- that's a that's a good question. Yeah, I, I think I think I that you are think right. I mean, because that's where the name obviously came from, you know. Yeah. And I and I does, at I, that point, I mean, I I know that like the master system wouldn't have been any kind of big deal, which was in with the Mark III. Um, right. Wasn't any kind of big deal in Japan, so it wouldn't surprise me if it was just straight up off. Uh, and I Famicom at that point. This is all hitting my head randomly. He's talking about Famitsu, so there's no rhyme or reason to this, but. I know I read somewhere, and I don't know what magazine or book it was a long time ago, but there was a lot of heat on Famitsu at one time, and I think it was for the original Dragon Quest, known as Dragon Warrior here, unless you told me the story. But uh, they got heat because I think in some of the screenshots in the publication, it showed the ending. Oh, really? So I, th- yeah, something weird like that. So they had, you know, that whole deal where they pulled out of the magazine and then they had apologized 9,000 times. But yeah, something odd like that happened in. Famitsu in its early days, and I want to say I almost wanted to say it was Final Fantasy, but I don't. I believe it was Dragon Quest. Hmm. Yeah, so they've had they had their own little uh, lunar Silver Star story controversy as well, I guess. But uh, <laughs> uh, are there anything else interesting on that uh, Famitsu page? No, it's just like other games like aren't really. I mean, you know, Final Fantasy four to nine nine ten eight, which is not surprising, you know. Um, that was the biggest thing. Like I and I had said I hadn't even realized that that Gear was even on there. And people are noticing, you know, that early EGM strangely looked similar to Famitsu in some ways. Um, you know, EGM did the kind of four reviews in a column thing. They did same kind of number scale. EGM had Sushi X, whereas Famitsu had Taco X. Um <laughs> But there was actually, and I, I can't I can't say exactly what point it happened, but there was a working agreement between EGM and Famitsu. We talked about this a little bit in the past, and I was confused because at one time I considered EGM a sister publication, but you got into the whole Sendai name yeah. in Japan and all that. It was very interesting. Yeah, so it, you know, so it's not not necessarily that like EGM was just out and out stealing. I mean, they probably were at first. I would not be shocked because you you hear the stories of like how EGM worked in those early days and it's just absolutely crazy. Um, You know, the way they they got stuff. Uh, I, you know, I I don't know if I can tell this story. I guess I'm going to tell it anyway. If I get in trouble, I get in trouble. Um, There was, so, you know, I work for Steve Harris, who was the guy who started EGM back in the day. Uh, There was some magazine that was i think it was the first simpsons game oh no maybe it was the arcade game maybe it was the arcade game uh the egm found out this other magazine was going to be doing a cover story on the simpsons arcade game as an exclusive 
don't don't 100% quote me on the fact that it's an arcade game, but it was a Simpsons game, and it was a big deal at that point. Uh, so in effort to kind of scoop that magazine, EGM went out and found one of the Simpsons pinball games. Okay. And basically photographed, and I don't know the technical name for it, the, the kind of back glass, you know, the, the marquee area. Yes. Photographed the marquee area art and put that art on the cover of the next EGM that would be out before that other magazine would be out. Wow, to make it seem like they had a Simpsons scoop? Yes, to make it seem like they had a Simpsons scoop. You know, you jogged my memory again, but I don't want to lie. I was going to say I remember that issue of EGM mentally, but you know what? Wow, we're we're going back a long way. Oh yeah, I totally, I totally remember. It. Do you, uh, okay, do you have the cover in front of you? I'm going off. Memory. Was it a white background with the Simpsons characters in front of it? If not, I'm mixing it. If not, one of the first video game magazines I remember buying. If it wasn't that EGM, then it all it might have been computer and video games. No, which it, had a Simpsons cover. It was uh, it was kind of like a blue background for like okay. half the picture, and the bottom okay. is like Homer eating a donut, and then Bart on a skateboard. Wow. And if, if you look at it now, like, it totally, you can tell, okay, that this is definitely, like, from something that <laughs> wasn't just, like, art, you know, for a magazine. Right. Um, but it says, Simpsons special. EGM previews the NES cart from Acclaim and Pinball from Day to East. So I don't know if it was, I said, I don't know, again, if it was, um, the exclusive was going to be for the arcade game or the NES game or what, but... Yeah, or maybe they spun it in a way where they got that art. They did mention the pinball there, but they spun it to kind of cover both fields yeah. and get Simpsons on the cover. Yeah, yeah kind of clever. But, I mean, you know, the thing is, is like that's like every when you go back and find out just the crazy stuff that like mag American magazines were doing back in the day, and I'm sure other other countries too. But like just you know the stories of like what Game Fan and EGM and VGCE and everybody like did. Like, that's not shocking at all. Because that was a big deal. Like, it was a really, really big deal. You know, and, and I remember, you know, like, you remember that, that point in time of EGM where it felt like every other cover was either Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat. Well, yeah, it's, yes. I don't know if we discussed this either, but yeah, those are the two. I think the record holder was Mortal Kombat for EGM. Yeah. And I think, like, in one year, I think we went over the stat in the past. I don't know if it was, like, six or eight times that I think that series made the cover. I mean, that's just, that's unbelievable. That's crazy. But uh, I don't know, speaking of all this magazine stuff, I don't know if people get sick of this, but uh, it's so funny we're on these, the magazine topic, but uh, I did pick up a few magazines recently, and I don't know if you want me to read anything from them, but... Um, what did you get? Uh, well, interestingly, Retro Gamer, which I've cited on this podcast multiple times in the past, based out of the UK, which is now published by Future... Uh, as they bought out Imagine about 14 months ago. Their latest issue, which has the PC Engine on the cover, was a special double issue and came with a second magazine. And for the first time in about 20 years, a new issue of Superplay oh, wow. has arrived. Yes. Which, um, uh, and, the, and the reason they did this was to coincide with the release of the uh, Super NES uh, Classic. And this issue of Superplay has art by Will Overton, who was kind of their renowned artist, and he did art for Star Fox 2. So this is technically issue 48, October 2017. I'm looking to see here as I babble. For those who don't know, and I didn't know this at the time, I didn't find out about Superplay until, you know, in recent years. This was kind of the UK's kind of equivalent to Game Fan. 
Uh, not in terms maybe of so much like the screenshots or the crazy layouts, but in terms of like the passion. So I think that's where a lot of uh, similarities are drawn between the two. So it was kind of interesting to see this come uh, back out. They've got, I'm looking to see if there's anything interesting in the um, editorial. Let's see if this, if this gets boring, I'll stop it. It says from the big chair. Our full contents listing starts uh, just over on the next page. And uh, I apologize for my sound because I'm reading this at an angle, so don't uh, crucify me. I'm not, and this is written by Tony Mott, the editor. I'm not really the sort of person to pre order things on the internet. But when Nintendo announced the classic mini SNES, I buckled like a white plastic chair at a You've Been Framed barbecue. Scrabbling to Amazon, I made my reservation. Ten minutes later, I was there again, having decided to order another one to give as a Christmas gift, only to be rejected because the entire allocation had been hoovered up in a flash. Who knew that everyone loves this console as much as I do? Not Nintendo, presumably. I'd played games on consoles since their very early days, but hardware such as the NES and Master System felt like dress rehearsals for the SNES. I'd enjoyed Mega Drive games such as Thunder Force 3 and The Revenge of Shinobi well enough. But I connected with Super Metroid, A Link to the Past, and Super Mario World on a different, deeper level. And then there were Street Fighter 2 Turbo and Yoshi's Island and, well, if you were there, you know what I'm on about. I really liked Superplay too, and not only because the subscription deal offered readers a copy of Akira. Oh, VHS, hey, this was 1992. I liked it so much, in fact, that one day I called the magazine's editor to ask about possible job openings. Thank goodness this was in the days before he could have easily ignored an email from me. And so it was that I joined the team. I had very little idea about what I was doing, but I wasn't short on enthusiasm, which came in pretty handy given the apparently never-ending stream of crappy Japanese imports no one else wanted to review. Back then, I got away with it because I was among a group of very patient and extremely talented folk. And in resurrecting Superplay for this one-off special edition, I thought it would be sensible to follow the same approach. So I got in touch with former Superplay staff Jason Brooks, Jonathan Davies, Zai Nicholson, and Will Overton to invite them back aboard, along with longtime Nintendo experts including Mark Green Damian McFerrin, Jeremy Parrish, and Chris Schilling. The plan in part? Let's re-review 20 of the mini-bound SNES games in the direct glare of 2017, over 20 years on. That all of them were so enthusiastic about the idea tells us a good deal about what this amazing little console represents. And, uh... I think they had an exclusive interview in here. I don't want to say it was controversial, but I was actually going over it with Neil before I got this magazine. Oh, and I'll be doggone. Where's his darn name? Talking about the man behind some of the technology on Star Fox. Oh. Uh, it's uh, His name's got to be on the cover here. It's. I'm going to find it here momentarily. I'm trying to think of who you mean. Yeah, I think I know. Uh, Star Fox. Yeah, let's see. Will Overton, yada yada yada. I just can't. Oh, you can't you uh, you got to be playing me. I can't believe his name. Um, sorry about this. Give me one more. Uh, 
Anime World, Fan Hunter, Super Express, Competition, Super History, SNES Mini, Subscriptions. Uh, let me see what I find here as I'm looking for that. Let's just glance through. we got Super Castlevania 4, Super Ghouls and Ghosts, Yoshi's Island, Super Mario Kart, Mario RPG. I'll go over these scores as I go through. I'll zip through them then and now. Uh, Star Fox, uh, overall score... Giving it a 73 now, then they gave it a 93. Street Fighter 2 Turbo, then a 96, now a 78. Super Mario World, uh, you're going to love this because I know you love Mario. Uh, then they gave it a 94, now they gave it a 93. I actually like that game. I do. Yeah, it's uh, that is a classic. Yoshi's Island, then a 94, now a 93. I would agree with that. Super Mario RPG stayed about the same with an 81 and an 80 present day. Uh, they also take the time to import some of the exclusive uh, SNES classic titles that differentiate from the North American versus Japanese. Mm. Japanese, I believe, get Fire Emblem, Mystery of the Emblem, Ganbare Goemon, Panel de Pone. Is this right? Yeah, Super Street Fighter 2. This one's throwing me off. I can't believe that's on there. Super Formation Soccer. That's kind of weird. Um, but yeah, there was this. Um, and I, I'm just so shocked out of my socks that I can't find, and I know it was on the cover. How am I missing it? But, uh, there was that, uh, we'll come back to that in a second. And then more interestingly, I haven't read over the whole thing. Edge put out the annual, which, uh, covers a whole wide array of things. It's the first time they've done this. Looking back at classic articles from the year interviews and whatnot, there's a big thing on Persona 5. Uh, I started reading this last night. I didn't finish it. I'll read a little bit of this uh, because I know you're a huge Persona fan, as am I. You're much more uh, the expert on it, though. And this is the making of. Uh, That's what this is from. Persona 5, the high school RPG that shows the benefits of overthinking it. And I read the first few paragraphs last night. It was interesting because it talks about the long development cycle uh, and why, as to why some of that happened. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Uh, I wasn't as familiar with this as I thought I was. So it says, Katsuda Hashino offers a simple explanation for why Persona 5 was in development for so long. You would think the latest installment in a long-running beloved series built to a familiar template would not take too long to make. Yet Persona 5 arrived more than eight years after its predecessor, Persona 4, missing an entire console generation in the process. What on earth happened? We had spent a very long time working on Persona 5 and were satisfied with the direction it was going in, he tells us. However, as we reached this point deep in development, Sony released PlayStation 4. We couldn't ignore the opportunity to bring the game out on this new console with all the advancements it offered. We had to look at how we could adapt what we had already created for PS3 and realize that the 2D graphics we had created weren't suitable for the new system Hmm. let me stop there that was kind of interesting i didn't realize i'm assuming maybe they felt it had more of a look of persona 4 and 3 is that how you yeah i'm not sure what that means because i mean you know we know that catherine came out as kind of like a tech test Mm -hmm. for persona 5 so i don't know what they mean by 2d graphics and this is a quote from the gentleman hashino so unless there was a translation error that's that's a quote not you know uh it says we basically had to redraw everything it was the only way we could utilize the power of PS4 and it increased the development time massively. Perhaps, yet we suspect uh, Hashino himself might have had something to do with it. 
Our time with him makes it clear that this is a man who thinks deeply about everything, and perhaps a little too much. When we ask what made him switch the game setting from the sleepy rural town of Inaba that played a host to Persona 4 to the bustling central Tokyo, his answer clocks in at a shade over 700 words. A request for clarification yields a further 400. His comments, while perhaps shedding a little light on the reasons for Persona 5's near decade in development, also reveal the sheer uh, depth of thought and thematic planning that goes into a game uh, that, on the face of it, treads a very similar path to its predecessors. Hashino had his central theme for the game, Phantom Thieves, inspired by the Japanese folklore, and its heroes like Ishikawa Goemon and Maurice LeBlanc's Arsène Lupin. Uh, he felt thieves were naturally at home in big cities, so Persona 5 would need to be set in one. He goes on to say, quote, Initially, I was convinced I needed to create a fictional city for the game setting, Hashino says, to distinguish it from the mountainous region in which Persona 4 took place. I researched coastal cities like Hakodate, Nagasaki, and Yokohama. An early test image had the Enoshima Electric Railway, a two-car train that traces a 10-kilometer stretch of the Kanagawa coast running in the background. But Hashino felt it didn't quite fit, quote, I couldn't figure out why, and I lamented over it for a while. Then I realized that when you think about classic Phantom Thieves, like Lupin, who caused a stir in Paris, or Niju Menso, the fiend with 20 faces in Tokyo, they're associated not just with cities, but capitals. Persona 5 absolutely needed the same. I needed a setting where an outlaw could shine in a place overshadowed with people. Where you feel like you're just another cog in the wheel, yet kids from a nameless high school could still make an impact. Um, let me move along here. This, let me see if we can get to some Q&A. And I apologize if my reading's a little off. It's very light print, and I'm in a dim area. Uh, let's get to the Q&A. There may be some juicy tidbits here. Q&A with Katsura Hashino, game director. When choosing Persona 5's location, how conscious were you of the Shin Megami Tensei series, which is also set in Tokyo? I didn't want to overlap with that, which leans heavily on the phrase, the real Tokyo, to add realism and convey the dual nature of our own society. In Persona, these are ultimately comings-of-age stories depicting the mental development of high schoolers. A vague but familiar fictional city might be useful in conveying the university, uh, universality of the high school experience. That choice took a long time. How mindful were you of de delaying development? I guess the truth is that my planning did take longer than expected, which caused some trouble for my staff. But I'm a firm believer that locking down the setting is the first step to giving the players a sense of immersion. Once I realized why it had to be Tokyo, the rest of the planning came naturally. What's the secret to good user interface design? Before I became a director, I was a planner that primarily handled battle systems. This gave me experience working with the placement and functionality of UI in battle and camp menus. The main UI designer for Persona is someone I've been working with since my planner days. We talked endlessly about things like placement that couldn't confuse the player, that wouldn't confuse the player, excuse me. Uh, the movement and line of sight, the position and timing of visual components the colors, and so on. We wanted to make sure the user interface was as stress-free as possible to help the players keep their focus on the gameplay 
Uh, imagine an assistant quickly handing tools to a doctor during surgery. That's how I picture it. Laughs. Uh, what's yeah, they got uh, to elevate Persona 5. Let's see what else they got here. Let's see. Uh, to elevate Persona 5's UI from its predecessors, we needed a concrete concept, like how a story needs a theme, he says. Without that, it would just end up a variation on the existing UI. The design staff was stuck on this initially, so I pitched that would become the basis of our pop-punk art style. Persona 5 emulates picaresque novels, and the game's visual design reflects this through dark and closed atmospheres. To contrast this, the UI that overlaps it moves vigorously as if raging to break things down. Our goal was to have the UI stir the player to action even during bitter, dark scenes. Let's see, you got another quote here. Although at some point we overdid it. There was so much information on the screen. I was actually going to make mention of that. I didn't know how you feel about that. Uh, the UI uh, was incoherent and impossible to follow. We wound up forming a UI test team to discern the hard-to-see points and parts and then fix them as much as possible. It cost quite a bit, but was well worth it. Uh, it says the whole project must have cost a lot in fairness, but the results show it was money well spent. Development may have lasted a lot longer than originally intended, but almost 350,000 copies were sold of Persona 5 on the first three days in Japan. Within a month, it had become the biggest seller in Atlas's 30 years in business. It's even performed well in the West, topping the UK retail charts in its first week on sale despite a conservative print run. Uh, this is almost done. It says, It's quite the send-off for Hashino, who, after 12 years as the director of Persona series, is leaving it behind. Why, did you know that? Uh, I, I, I think I'd heard about that happening. It says uh, he's leaving it behind and heading up the creation of a new RPG yeah, series yeah, for yeah. Atlas. That's right, yeah. uh, as we've learned, he has a tendency to overthink things, but he's at a loss to explain why Persona of all JRPGs has found such a following in the West. Quote, this is the end quote. I wish someone could tell me why, he says. What I can tell you, though, is that while the series takes place in Japan, we don't develop it with the intention of catering to a Japanese audience, nor do we factor in our overseas fans, whether it's planning, design, or music. We simply strive to do our best. We select a theme, then we work our brains out. I, th I think that was, so. what's not known yet. Yeah, no, I, no, I do remember now that the fact that that whole thing about him leaving um the persona side of things i think it's just the question right now is i don't know if it's been announced who's taking over which they, it might have been <clears throat> that'll but be that, kind that's of, the uh, part i'm not remembering that'll be kind of interesting to uh see they had an interesting thing in here was oh, first off and i'll just go off memory i won't read the whole thing there's a thing on fumito ueda in here of uh uh last guardian eco and uh, Shadow of the Colossus fame. I didn't realize this. Did you know he had his hands in on the original D and I believe Enemy Zero? I didn't know, I didn't that, know that. Actually, yeah. I didn't know that either. This is a lot easier to digest. Let me see this. I did read this whole thing last night. Um, this is collected works for Mito Ueda, uh, kind of chronicling his career. Uh, he worked on D, no Shokutaku, Director's Cut, Enemy Zero, Eco, Shadow of the Colossus, The Last Guardian. Um... Uh, I'll try and I won't try and get into this whole thing. Uh, ultimately, this is back in '94. Fumito Ueda uh, had a fist fight on a Tokyo rooftop that left him unconscious and with uh, neck pains that even today can be roused by a cold wind. A recent graduate from Osaka University of Arts, 
Ueda was a finalist in a Sony-sponsored competition to find a gifted young artist. Ueda used his winning allowance of $1,000 to build an installation in a vast shopping complex in Yokohama. A small cage filled with soil carefully churned into uh, mounds as if by a questing mole. Whenever a passerby approached the cage, Ueda, spying on the scene from a nearby hiding place, would press a button on his remote control and two hidden motors would kick dirt into the onlooker's face. So weird. He wanted to create something that would have more of a lasting impact than a painting. But surprisingly, it wasn't this that led to those rooftop fisticuffs. The scrap was, though, a result of this playfulness which Ueda helped to express in the final part of Sony's competition. The finalists were invited to the company's headquarters in Ginza, where each candidate had to perform for a panel of executives. Ueda and his partner decided to forego the questions and instead have a pretend street fight. They bought protective helmets and decorated them to look like wild animals. When their turn came, Neither man held back. In the ensuing scuffle, Ueda was knocked to the ground. He struck his head and passed out. It is Ueda's commitment to this early performance, rather than its slapstick violence, that most accurately reveals his character. A willingness to see an idea through, no matter the cost. Ueda's three major games, Eco, Shadow of the Colossus, and The Last Guardian, have all made tremendous demands of him and his team. The lessons he has learned have been hard won, then, yet if his career since is any guide, they are all the more valuable for it. Uh, this goes on to say, in regards to D, uh, when I joined Warp on the original version of D, he had just, uh, the original version of D had just come out. Due to an issue with manufacturing of the PlayStation version, the game's director, Keiji Ino, who sadly died in 2013, decided to put out a director's cut version of the game. Ino wanted this version to include an extensive number of cutscenes that weren't in the original version, and I was tasked with creating the footage. My bosses figured that this would be an appropriately sized project to start me on. It was less than one month's work, in fact. I'm not even sure if my name made it into the game's credits. The game was made, this is what I thought was interesting. The game was made using Lightwave on the Amiga, a computer that I'd bought while I was at college and had taught myself to use with an English language dictionary. As such, I'd become something of an expert, although that wasn't necessarily why I was hired at the job. In fact, after this game, the entire studio moved away from Lightwave to use silicon graphics instead. Rather, I think they had responded to the quality of the animation I had sent in when I applied for the job. If I remember rightly, I told them that if they liked what I had submitted, they were free to use it in one of their games. Anyway, it was such a short amount of time spent working on that game, just one cut and a brief sequence, that it's difficult to remember. I was new in the job and just got my head down. Goes on to talk about Enemy Zero. As soon as his work on D was finished, he moved uh, to Eno's next game, Enemy Zero. The work was grueling. It's extremely blurry in my memory because of the long days. I'd sleep at my desk every night and wouldn't go home for days on end. I wasn't involved in gameplay or the engine at that stage of my career. But in terms of the cutscene creation, I had to handle every aspect of the creative process. 
To give an idea of what was involved, typically these days people take several weeks to make a single cutscene. On Enemy Zero, I was making three cutscenes a day from scratch. Everything from the animation to the lighting. The entirety of the cutscenes in that game stretched to about 90 minutes. There were just three animators on the team, so I made a good third of them. I had so many tasks to complete every single day. I was young then, in my early 20s, which is the only reason I could handle it, I think. But I didn't look back on that time negatively. When you work hard and you grow muscles from working hard, uh, it stood me in good stead for my later career, I think. It certainly didn't pull me off working from the game industry, but it did cause me to reflect on the differences between films and games. I was essentially making short films, and at some point in the process, I began to think about how the game would be better served if these scenes were more integrated with the gameplay. Rather than standalone, non-interactive segments, it got me thinking about different ways that there might be to tell stories in games, and from there, I started to have my own ideas for more holistic game design. Now, this might get a little more interesting, because now we move into the Sony area. Uh, Eco, quote, after we completed our work on Enemy Zero, but before the game came out, I quit my job at Warp. My plan was to create something for myself, on my own. My boss tried to convince me to stay, but I didn't want to work with an organization anymore. I wanted to work on my own stuff, where I could set my own pace and work to my own vision. Now, if my plan had been to quit and join a rival studio, they would have found a way to stop me. But because I wanted to work for myself, the manager of the company gave me his blessing. They weren't completely happy, of course, but they understood why I was quitting, at least. I had some savings, so I bought another computer. The project I started working on was what would later turn into Eco. It had a different name at the time. I can't recall what. It started with an image, which is how I like to work. The picture was of a tall girl with a little boy standing beside her. That was it. I didn't have any programming skills, so my plan was to build a prototype in Lightwave. I was going to make short film sequences. Uh, which much like he had done with the two games at Warp. He says, uh, To be honest, at the time I started to work on the project, I wasn't sure if it was going to become a movie or a video game. It could have gone in either direction. The PlayStation and Sega Saturn had just come out, so the idea of making a game uh, as just one person was unthinkable. Uh, you still Is this okay? So you want me to keep going? Yeah, go ahead. Um, we didn't have Unreal or Unity or anything that might allow someone to make a game by themselves. Still, I thought that if I could just make my cutscenes well enough, just maybe I could convince someone to help me turn it into a game. At that time, I heard through someone I met online that Sony Computer Entertainment was looking for someone who had expertise in Lightwave. I thought that this is a side note. I thought this was very interesting how that kind of came full circle here. Uh, nobody at Sony could use the software, but I had learned it while at Warp. Through this person, uh, Sony invited me to work for them, but I refused, explaining I was taking time off to work on my own idea. I told them to check back with me in about three months' time. They asked me to come into the office anyway, to talk to them about what I was doing, so I took the work I'd done at Warp to show them, as well as my formative idea for Eco. Akira Sato, who is now vice chairman of Sony, offered me the computer uh, he offered him a computer and a desk at their headquarters. They essentially gave him a three-month contract to create a trailer for the game. No strings attached. In this way, I was able to present the idea with the trailer and through that give them a true vision of what the game could be. What they really thought of what I produced, I don't know. But I was told that I could continue working on it 
So on some level, it must have been well received. Now, Sony at that time had a dedicated CG team that was using silicon graphics machines, each of which cost several hundred thousand dollars. My hunch is that they looked at the trailer I produced on a PC and the work that was being produced on the SG machines and they didn't perceive much difference in quality. So perhaps I was allowed to stay because of cost-cutting reasons. Hmm. Anyway, it was decided that the project was going to be a game and as a result, someone needed to take on the role of game designer. I said, I'll do it. But even though I'd worked at a game company before, I didn't have any idea about how to design games. I had some concepts and knew what I wanted to do in the game, but I had no real sense of how to realize uh, them. I lacked experience and knowledge, and I was worried that I couldn't compete against experienced creators. On the other hand, I had an art and design background. This was my advantage. I believed that I could make something quite different to the usual games of the time. Even at that stage, I had a strong sense that I needed to be very individual in what I made, in fact. Nevertheless, it took a long time. So the time came when it looked as though we might need to change the development platform from the PS1 to the PS2. The whole team was against changing the platform midway through development like this. None of us wanted Eco to be a PS2 launch title because we knew the game wouldn't use the capabilities of the new machine. It would be doomed to obscurity by those games that were designed specifically for the PlayStation 2. We protested, but we were forced to make the change anyway. In the end, we weren't a launch game, which was a relief. So we were able to see what other developers were doing on the PlayStation 2 and learn from that. The day of Eco's release was surprisingly uneventful. There were no special celebrations. There wasn't an amazing feeling among the team. It wasn't like that at all. We'd lost all perspective and with it the ability to judge our own work. Eco's development had taken so long that the team wasn't sure if it was going to be appealing to players. And within Sony at the time, there were several other major titles coming out and it felt like they were getting all the attention. Nobody was cheering on our game. As a result, we felt unworthy, unsure of whether what we'd made would be good uh, enough. Quietly, I went out to a game uh, shop just to check out uh, for sure uh, that their game really was on shelves. Today, I think people assume that Eco had very good reviews when it first came out, but this was not the case. Eco launched in December, and there were only 30,000 units produced, a tiny number. It was very quiet after the game's released. Then, the following year, the game was nominated at DICE. That was the first time we heard a truly positive reaction. Let me see, there's about a page left here. Shadow of the Colossus, right after the completion of Eco, maybe even within a few weeks, I started work on Shadow. Uh, The reason I know this is I still have a sketch he made of the giant on which he wrote the date, which has the same exact day written on it, that Eco came out in Japan. So I must have had the idea for the game even earlier. Like I said, I often like to start with the sketch. Eco's a quiet game and everything happens in a relatively small enclosed space. I read several reviews in the Japanese press that said, while the ambience of Eco was effective, nothing much really happens. Some even said at the time that perhaps Eco couldn't even really be called a game. So I wanted my next game to be more conventional to avoid these criticisms. I thought, what's the most game-like characteristic? Fighting? So I definitely wanted to have an emphasis on action. But I also wanted the kind of intimacy that you can see in Eco through the holding of hands between characters. Touch is important to me. 
a meeting point between two entities. I had to figure out what the meeting point of Shadow of the Colossus would be. That's when I had the idea to make it a much larger surface. I thought, what if the touch point is not holding hands, but hugging, or even hanging off one another? That's where the idea for Nico, that's N-I-C-O, as the game was called at the time, originated. Making the game was a huge technical challenge. I was lucky. We had a programmer who loved this kind of major challenge. In no small part, it's thanks to him that my grand idea didn't sink the project before it had even started. It's worth also talking about the game's atmosphere. I think Eco is in some ways a happy game. Things end in a pleasing way. It broadly has a happy resolution. Shadow of the Colossus has a different arc. A lot of movies have happy endings. Very few games end in tragedy. So that offered a point of differentiation. I also wanted to make a game that lived on in people's minds for a long time. Sad experiences can often leave a strong impression. The same thing applies to movies and songs. Melancholy works are often more memorable and leave a longer lasting impression. We're going to finally wrap up here with The Last Guardian. The Last Guardian. We spent four years working on Eco and three and a half years working on Shadow of the Colossus. Much of that time was spent trying to overcome the technological difficulties. For my next project, this is going to make you laugh. For my next project, I didn't want to spend nearly so much time on technical issues. Rather, I wanted to spend that time on game feeling, design, and the, visual, the visualization. Yes, I wanted to spend the entire time on fine-tuning and finesse. The same applies to the movie industry. In the early years, so much was spent on tech. But at a certain point, technical accomplishments in the film no longer draw the audience's attention. People naturally become more and more interested in characterization, plot, and story. It's sort of the same in games. I felt we'd reached a point where the focus needed to shift. And I also wanted to make the game quite short because I didn't want to spend a long time on development. Well, obviously that didn't work out. Despite my best intentions, The Last Guardian had a very long development. Why? It just took so much time to create the game engine. It took so much time to tune it to a point that was satisfying. This held up greatly. That held them up greatly because they couldn't progress to the next stage in the creative process till the engine could do everything they needed it to. The engine is the basis on which everything else is built. So it has to be right, contrary to what you might expect. The time I felt most stressed during The Last Guardian's development was at the beginning of the project, when we didn't know whether we could build an engine to support the vision. It took three years to get the engine to the point where we could progress to the creative work. The target I had with all three of my games was to attract people who do not usually play games. I wanted to appeal to a wide audience through universally accessible stories Foundational plots? Uh, almost. For example, Eco is a boy meets girl story familiar to everyone. For Shadow of the Colossus, the story's theme centers on sacrificing yourself for a greater purpose. And in The Last Guardian, the core of the story idea revolves around the elemental fear of being taken from your bed by a mystical creature. Everybody has had that dream at some point in their life, I think. You see, it echoed in all kinds of fiction, from Studio Ghibli's My Neighbor Totoro to... Steven Spielberg's E.T. From my original plan to create a very short game, the story expanded into quite a traditional three-act structure. 
In that sense, it's more complex than Echo and Shadow of the Colossus, both of which have stories that occur in a single extended act. At the time of making those games, I was not as famous as I am now, so I had to work within a more limited budget. But with the production of The Last Guardian, I'd reached a point in my career when I was given the scope to work on a broader canvas. I was able to do something more ambitious in terms of the plot development, creating much more a journey in terms of the relationship between two protagonists. I don't think my fans will like to hear what I'm about to say. It's winding down now. Before I made games, when I'd play Super Mario Brothers or some other game, I'd imagine that the game represented the creator's true and final vision. I thought they must have carefully considered every aspect of its creation and the game represented the best version of their vision, where every decision was intentional. All these years later, I realized that this is never the case. There is always compromise. There are always aspects to a game that are unintentional. You can't control everything. Sometimes you're forced into creative decisions because there's no other way to resolve an issue. That's true in my games, I'm afraid to say. Perhaps it's true of all creative endeavor. Every work represents a compromise between a creator's vision and the practicalities of the medium and process. I wish I'd understood that sooner. Hmm. Pretty interesting, huh? Yeah. Uh, the last thing I'll say, and this is very short, they have a thing here. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, I promise. They go, they talk to people in the industry, like having them pick the best game, like the most influential game to them during the span of Edge's magazine life so far. So that magazine started in 93. So between the time of 93 and now, they asked developers and creators what they felt the best game is. And they have Fumito Eda here again. And this is a shorter piece. And I, I was stunned at this. <clears throat> so Fumito Eda, Gen Design. There have been many influential titles throughout the years, including Half-Life 2, The Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, and Super Mario 64. So choosing just one is extremely difficult. Still, if I had to pick the best, I would say the first Virtua Fighter. At the time, I had just bought an Amiga 1200 and begun to teach myself 3D CG, so I'd moved away from video games. But by chance, I came upon Virtua Fighter at a video arcade. I stopped by. More than stuff about fighting games, it reminded me of the visceral pleasure video games can provide, bringing to life characters on a screen with the simple control input of a joystick and three buttons. Excuse me. I was at a crossroads at the time, deciding whether to enter the art world or pursue a career in video games. It's no exaggeration to say that my chance encounter with Virtua Fighter sent me down the path I'm on today. In Japan, Virtua Fighter made a huge contribution not only to the video game industry, but also to other media such as movies, and it also introduced to the general public the appeal of 3D animation. To this day, I love the game's experimental character design, its exaggerated motions, and that transparent blue sky. So much, in fact, that I just recently got my hands on an original Virtua Fighter arcade board. Hmm. That's kind of interesting, huh? Yeah. Um, they have um, oh, you know, Hideo Kojima's was kind of interesting here. His is something you wouldn't guess in fifty million years, but I think Kojima's picking here is more this. You'll see why this is sentimental value. I think something to do with family. You'll see why Hideo Kojima, his pick, 
Pokemon Gold and Silver are probably the two games that I've played the most since Edge's first issue in 93. I didn't play many portable games back then, nor did I have much interest in Pokemon. But it was a game I bought for my son, and when I tried it, I really enjoyed it. Back then, it was still common to have people playing games together on the same console, but in Pokemon Gold and Silver, you had to trade with players who were playing on their own uh, separate devices in order to complete it. I found it really refreshing to be able to connect with my son through a game when I was in a different place. Um, you want Yoshinori Ono? Eyes, last one, yeah. All right. Grand Theft Auto 3. It's not just an incredible game. It gave birth to our current games market where open world is a given. I lost myself in it and used it to escape reality many times, and it gave me the freedom to do what he wanted to do in ways that he wished he could when he was playing games as a child. The great thing was that you never felt the game was pushing you into doing things. It was just designed to support and prompt a player's desire to do anything. I clearly remember thinking to myself, wow. So this is the kind of thing that's been developed outside of Japan. To think today that we can play this game anywhere on our smartphones. Remembering the game for this piece inspired me to give it another go, and obviously the graphics have dated, and the number of side missions and so on pale in comparison to the latest GTA games. But its design still shines, and you can feel its impact. That's why, after careful rumination, I've chosen Grand Theft Auto 3 as the best game released during Edge's lifetime. I mean, not, not completely surprising picks. Yeah. So. But um, interesting, uh, uh, interesting stuff there. I like the Persona Five stuff. I thought probably the most interesting of what I read was Fumito Ueda's kind of learning a bit about his background. Had no idea he was connected to Warp. Yeah, I, I actually didn't know that either. To be honest. Yeah. I uh, hope I didn't give everyone uh, cauliflower ear and myself cotton mouth. Uh, with that being said, here uh, we're at the one minute mark on GVGP. We'll try to. Uh, Get a tiny bit more in the here one, as we wrap one, it up. The one minute mark? <laughs> the one hour That's a one lot of mark. content for one minute. That, that is. <laughs> um, let's see what else is going on. What do you have uh, before we get into What have you been playing? Have you been playing anything personally outside of stuff for work? Not really, to be honest. I mean, it's just Overwatch if I'm not doing work stuff. Well, I guess I guess, uh, I guess I was playing um, Honey Pop. Like I, I had bought that a while back, and I had meant to play it, and I finally got to it. Because I think I think there was an announcement that Honey Pop Two is coming out, and so I finally sat down. And I'm like, I'm going to actually play my copy of the first game. Mm. So I'm like three fourths, maybe a little bit more of the way through it. Have uh, stupid question. Uh, did you pick up SNES Classic? No, I I I'm a Genesis person, so I don't know. I like there's like three games on there I care about, but I think you know the the difference in in my excitement between the NES Classic and the SNES Classic is just years apart. Because um, I loved 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 the NES, but yeah, as Super Nintendo was for me, it was like Super Metroid, Pocky and Rocky, Harvest Moon. Final Fantasy VI, you know, Chrono Trigger, a handful of other games, but not much more than that. Um, speaking of that and the love of Mega Drive, I've still been following Paprium, and I don't know if you saw this, but Paprium is now 2018. Oh, is it really? Yeah, long story short, I think some of the delay had to do, this is weird, so they were acquiring funds through like paypal or whatever and you remember i might have i told you in private i was trying to secure a copy and like the whole link was broken and nothing was working right something weird happened where 
the funds were not given to them on time because of a delay. I don't know if they thought it was a fraudulent PayPal or something weird was going on, which was not happening, which held up all their funds and they needed that funds along the way to complete development. So the game is still getting done with high quality, but I think they stayed stagnant for a little bit until those funds cleared, which was kind of the fault, I dare say, of PayPal. So they bumped out the release from September, which would have been last month, and now I think it's around first quarter-ish 2018. Uh, As I'm saying this out loud, it triggers another thought. Uh, There was a new video from Neo Geo Dev Team for Krautbuster, which is now slated for first or second quarter 2018, their kind of take on Metal Slug. What do you think about that? You know what? At first I looked at it, and now we're talking a couple years ago. I first looked at it like, you know, it's quality in terms of like it's all from the ground up and I respect that. But I'm like, boy, you know, their choice of doing a Metal Slug-like game, you know, those games are so tough. They, you know, they, Metal Slug is so interesting because in a weird way, you know, people talk about Super Mario Brothers and other games which kind of get a reaction or like anyone can get into. And I don't know how this is going to come across, but there's at least a couple girls in my life over time. That when I'm playing games and I pop in Metal Slug, you know, one of the games I get the biggest reaction from is Metal Slug Hmm. and they enjoy playing it, which I find really interesting. With that being said, I didn't know how wise that was to of Neo Geo Dev Team's decision. But looking at the latest build, I got to tell you, you can see some differences between now and then. And it's really impressive from a uh, passion standpoint, from a you know the amount of time that has to go into that for all the animation and detail so it looks great i just wish and i know this defeats the whole purpose of it because i am someone that likes physical products and and you know i'm all for that but i really wish at this point neo geo dev team would just put all their titles up on digitally as well yeah um it's funny because i saw somebody who was mentioning online that like i thought that the game looked just really like just uninspired and terrible and i actually think it <clears> looks pretty good from what I was watching, I mean, to verify, I didn't yeah. have a whole lot of it, but I kind of think that I don't know. It's it's like it's like if I'm making, I announce I'm making a brand new Neo Geo game, and it's about samurais fighting each other with swords. <laughs> and it's a 2D fighter, you know. It, it like we don't need this, you know. I I think it'd be way more interesting for a team who's making a Neo Geo game to do something the Neo Geo didn't have. Right. There's a lot of things that Neo didn't have, and there's a lot of opportunities for for games you could do. You know, even if you like, it did platformers. You know, I mean, it did have some, but it didn't have a whole yeah, nothing enough. No, yeah, not right. There's you know, there's that. There's just like tons of things you could do. Like, I think the most fun would be to imagine if I was back in the Neo Geo era, what kind of game would I make? You know, I don't, I don't want just like indie games converted to Neo Geo. You know. I want a game that feels like it would have been a Neo Geo game, which I think Crowdbusters does, but like what games were not on the system that it needed, you know, because I, I don't need another Metal Slug on Neo Geo. You know, I don't really need another fighting game unless unless it's like a really, you know, if we're going back and saying this is a beloved fighting game and we want a Neo version to kind of beef up that that Neo Geo is a fighting game system kind of feel that's one thing but i just think as if i was a team i'd want to do something that like isn't existing on there like Uh, i'll say something before you go say that i was gonna say yeah thinking back one of the games i think people most wanted to see given that there was a home version of the neo geo was you know a crystallis 2 for example Uh, yeah i was gonna say jrpg and something jrpg uh centered why not do a like a crystallis 2 style game why not do mm. an akari warrior style game 
you know, when I do these kind of games that uh, like a top-down, not not top-down shooter, but there's other things you could do that the Neo Geo needed but never got. While it, okay, so this is going to sound possibly uh, kind of stupid, but obviously when it comes to one-on-one fighters, they don't need any more of that. And while they did have several side-scrolling beat-em-ups and maybe only one or two of which were good, you know, it would be interesting for them to do like a Paprium or Streets of Rage 2-style game, but taking full advantage of the hardware. Yeah. You know, like a beat-em-up like that. I mean, because it did have, you know, it had beat-em-ups, but I think I think that's like not overdone at this point. And I don't right. think, I don't know if I would say we have like the kind of definitive beat-em-up on Neo Geo. Whereas I can say we have definitive Metal Slug. We have a definitive, <laughs> you know, fighting games. Um, right. I think there's other categories. Like, there's hardly any racing games on Neo Geo. You know? Why not do an awesome racer? Like, well, why not do other things that, you know, like an, a more of an adventure kind of game? There's tons of things you could have done. So even said, if, even if you went back and looked at what SNK was producing on the NES and said, okay, what would have made sense to be like, what, what sequels could SNK have made for the Neo Geo? And I think going that direction in what you do would be way, way more interesting than giving right. me a Metal Slug clone when I've already got <laughs> enough great Metal Slugs to choose from. Right. Um, let's see. You, uh, you in the Halloween spirit coming up here? A couple weeks? Don't really care. I'm not yet. How, like how I've got f- nothing in my life that have been busy otherwise. But <laughs> you know, I, I, I do, I do like Halloween. It's just I don't, I don't have parties to go to or anything. So I don't know what to dress up as. I put together. I, I put like a real sloppy list together of some Halloween games. Uh, I don't know if you, I, I, you know, Resident Evil Remake, RE4, Silent Hill 1 and 2. Uh, I threw Symphony of the Night in there, Doom, Corpse Party, Fatal Frame. Um, I mean, yeah, I just got done playing Evil Within 2. That's a. What, what do you think on that in short for listeners who haven't checked out egmnow.com? And uh, I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to read your final verdict. I think that just went up within the last day or so. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, uh, it's not bad. I, you know, I, I have. Um, I wasn't really a fan of the first game, and I, I think I definitely think they went in a far better direction this time around. But mm-hmm. I think in doing so, they kind of lost a little bit of the individuality the first game had. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. it's got some weird gameplay elements, but also some good ones too. So I, I think it's definitely a cool game. It's hard for me to completely say you need to run out and buy it, but I think if you like that kind of survival horror stuff, like it's not a bad it's, it's like I enjoyed my time playing it. Did uh, I'm just jumping around here on my notes for sake of time here. Uh, I don't want to keep you too long. Have you seen any movies lately? I haven't. I think. <sighs> I saw Blade Runner. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. I really want to. But. Did you like, let me, in short, did you like the first Blade Runner? I love it. Yeah. Like, I know, I know some people will say it's really, really slow, but I don't think so. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, and especially if you like the first Blade Runner, go check this out. So that was, uh, I saw that a couple weeks ago. With how it's doing, uh, if I've done Netflix in a, in a month, you know. Because sadly, <laughs> it's not doing well at the box office. Yeah. Did you see uh, the Shenmue 3 video that came out? It was a few weeks ago now with the facial animation stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think... Um, I'm not upset about it. I mean, it's early and I don't know. People are being... Uh, 
I think, overly picky. Yeah, this is a problem of, of companies not understanding when to show things and when to not, you know? Right. Like, if they're like, well, we removed the facial animation a few weeks ago, okay, then why show us this now? You know, why not just wait? Right. On it. I don't know. Let's do this. Uh, TGIS 2017, we're not going to spend a whole ton of time on this. Uh, I mean, unless you want to do a little more time, but I'm, I'm being respectful. I'm just going to, we can do our rapid fire. Uh, I'll go over a couple things. You tell me what you think. Uh, by the way, total attendance this year for TGS was up with a grand, I'm assuming, cumulative total of 271,224 people. And, I have heard, though, uh, that I've heard a few anecdotes um, that the booths maybe were a little smaller than they were last year. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I, I'm curious to see because, you know, in just the, the handful of years that I was going, there definitely was a feeling of wow, there's not as many booths as there used to be, mm. you know? Um, so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a little bit worried about how it's been going because I had a little bit of that, that E3 feel where you're starting to see more and more open space on the show floor, which you don't want to see, right. you know? Right. So. I'm assuming uh, cost-related issues would be the guess. It's, you know, not cheap is my assumption once again. I think part of it's just, just, just so much that market is turning to be mobile. Well, I'm a little guilty. Speaking of shows, and I think some of our listeners will probably be there as we're recording this, and uh, it's guilty. I live right here, and I'm not there. These Portland retro gaming, I suppose, going on started tonight and this weekend. And I don't want to be Debbie Downer and Mr. Negative. You know, I I love that type of stuff, and I've been in the past. But you tell me if I'm being uh, uh, out of line, like if I'm just not with it. I mean, what do you feel about spending twenty-five to forty-dollar range on getting into a show? Like, don't you feel that's kind of? And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like, I feel like you go a couple days, and if you're spending that kind of money just to get in, like, that's almost like my spending money. Am I being a cheapskate, or, or what's your take? on I that? think. I mean, I think you know, like, if I'm looking at like a PAX kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, PAX, you can literally sit there for like half the night and just play games with people, you know. And so, if those right. kind of options exist, I don't have a problem with that. Like, I think it's kind of cool mm-hmm. just to have a whole collection like the the most fun i had at pax the last time i went you know in between doing work stuff and panels and everything was i would go to the kind of free play arcade room and get in line and play street fighter 5 because they, they actually had like it wasn't you know there wasn't an arcade version at that point um it was just the console kind of put into an arcade cabinet but that was really really fun and i think that if i had had the freedom and the kind of time to just go to the show and find people to play games with. Like, I think that's pretty awesome. But I think just for kind of like a, you go there and visit, like, you know, on the opposite side, like an anime expo, I think it's hard for me to justify that Mm -hmm. unless I'm going to a lot of panels or going to a lot of the sitting down and like watching stuff. Kind of rooms. So you you have to be Mm -hmm. invested in doing things and shows are way, way better if you have friends to go with. Like, if you're going on your own, it's a totally different experience. Hmm. Oh, and speaking of shows, and we'll get, we'll get on my rapid-fire TGS list. Speaking of that, I think uh, Neil and some other people are at TwitchCon, yet another show. But that's not a Long Beach Oh, area I didn't know he was down here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, as far as I know. Not, I, I, not you know, I close from... to me, but not far from me. Mm. Like about an hour drive or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think he's down there. I, last I had interaction with him was Tuesday. We usually talk every day, but I haven't heard from him since then, and I texted him, and it's been quiet. So I don't know. Maybe maybe he's having a time of his life, or I don't okay. know what's going on. 
But uh, my my most standout thing from Tokyo Game Show for me was Left Alive. Yeah, interesting. Which is being published by Square. Characters designed by Yoji Shinkawa, and it seems to be a spinoff in the Front Mission series, yet it's a third-person, more action-oriented, maybe a little bit of stealth-type title. Uh, for those uh, that it hasn't clicked with yet, Yoji Shinkawa, the world-famous artist who's done character designs and work on the Metal Gear series, working long time with Hideo Kojima, and he has permission. He is on loan to work on Left Alive, but rest assured, he is still with Kojima Productions. Uh, I don't know about you, but looking at the artwork for Left Alive, which I love, every single time I look at the art, I keep thinking I'm looking at Metal Gear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as soon as you saw that, you're like, I know this isn't Metal Gear, but this is, you know, <laughs> it gets having me. those Metal yeah. Gear synapses fire in my brain. Right. Uh, Left Alive was interesting. Uh, I thought for Capcom to say something positive, I thought Monster Hunter World looked pretty good. They showed more yeah. of that. It, you know, we're not reusing a bunch of assets. It looks like something they were forced to do something from the ground up, probably because it's uh, it makes money. Uh, Arika EX Fighter got a new TGS 2017 trailer. Uh, as I alluded to in our introduction, many remakes and remasters, including but not limited to Yakuza Kiwami 2. Yep. Dragon's Crown Pro. Which I'm excited for. Zone of the Ender Second Runner, which will be a PS4 remaster and include VR elements. I'm excited for that. Uh, more Secret of Mana remake, uh, getting single and multiplayer footage shown. I don't know what I think about that, so, that, that visual style, though. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not going to get it, but I am 100% on board with you. Um, I don't know how I, I think on our last recording this was announced, so this is old news, but I somehow forgot to mention the uh, Fist of the North Star being done by the Ryuga Gotoku team. I don't know how that's, I spaced that last recording about a month ago. I'm very excited for that. Yep. It also seems like it may include some classic Sega arcade titles as it showed Kenshiro out in the desert by an old beat-up outrun yeah, machine. Yeah, it's really, really weird, but funny. So, <laughs> um, speaking of oldies but goodies, were you stupid enough like me to spend $35 for the download of Battle Garega? Uh, not yet. I will be, but not yet. Yeah. Uh, really great looking title from 96 um, by Rising. So uh, I, I really want to support ha- those. Um, what's, what's the brand? It's uh, M2 Shot something. Yeah, Shot, shot Masters, Triggers. Shot Triggers. I think Shot Triggers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I yeah so uh, yeah, so that was that was good. There's more of that stuff coming. Uh, we talked about Evil Within two. Metroid Samus Return seems like old news now, but that's only a month ago. Uh, I was really enjoying that. Um, we, we might have talked a little bit about it. Um, oh, finally, uh, they say better late than never. Neo Geo Samurai Showdown two arcade archives, which yeah was very very late. It's like it's so funny because. <laughs> Three games ended up coming out on the exact same day. Yeah. Because two different games got delayed. I don't I think it was Savage Rain was the other one, maybe. I don't remember, but uh, I made a note. The two that got delayed, I think may have been Samurai Showdown two and Metal Slug X. Xbox One version of Sam Show Two was nine twenty two, September twenty second. PS four was all the way out at October tenth, so only a week ago really Sam Show Two Which hit really PS four. Yeah. That's uh, and also I made a note. Uh, I almost forgot some of those titles. Did you notice when you downloaded them? They had a default language of Portuguese. I didn't notice that. No. Yeah, uh, I noticed that specifically on Robot Fatal Fury and something else. I want to say Metal Slug X. Hmm. 
Um, really quick, uh, you did, we talked about your Danganronpa 3 uh, V3 review. Uh, you made some notes on its translation. Uh, I don't think you were too thrilled on but you still gave it a very nice score. I think you gave it an 8.5. I think so. You give that a thumbs up for Danganronpa fans? It's it's really interesting. Um, I definitely, because I kind of went to my, my review, was that it definitely is showing that I don't know that I want another one unless mm, they right. really change things up. Right. But it was an a, a interesting way to, because it kind of feels like it's the end of the main series uh, with everything that happens in it. And I think it's good if it's the ending. But if we get another oh, okay. one that's the exact same kind of thing, I, I don't know how excited I'll be. It's kind of run its course. Yeah, in that it's, it's kind of like you're you're realizing that like just that formula that they had, is only could last so long. You excited? Uh, I'm jumping around, and you excited for the latest addition to Street Fighter Five? I think it's Zeku, if I'm not mistaken, the Ninja Master of Guy from Street Fighter Alpha Two. It's really interesting, yeah, because he he. They're making him kind of look like he might be the it, uh, the the origin of the Strider group. It's yeah, stunned me. Didn't expect that. Yeah. In the alternate outfit, I was shocked. And then and then you uh, know they now well, you know right before him they announced arcade edition. Oh yeah, which is getting <laughs> yes. a ton of new stuff. Uh, arcade yeah. proper arcade mode. Actually, a bigger arcade mode than you would expect, and some other things, which is which is cool. You're gonna bite the bullet and do a buy that disc in no, January, because possibly. I've already got season passes for the characters. Ah, uh, uh, so there's not a whole lot. I, yeah. I think I might get some additional outfits, but there's not a whole lot otherwise that I would get from it. The thing that would make it a total slam dunk for me, and I, I'll probably wind up doing it, but the super slam dunk would be as if they said all outfits, all current, you know what I mean, all current content, one shot. Yeah, you they know? won't. There's no way they would do that though. Yeah, and 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 I, you know, for me, like Street Fighter Five, is the kind of game that you just have on your system. Like I don't want to have to put a disc in and out for it. So, oh, do you have digital? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, wow. I think the only game I really actively play that I don't have digitally is The Division. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you talk. But otherwise, oh. like I'm, I'm pretty much digital. So funny you mentioned that. Now you know I'm not a Tom, when I say I'm not a Tom Clancy fan. I'm not disrespecting the series. It's just not one of those things that's that's in my wheelhouse. But I had to extend my excuse me my Xbox Live subscription recently because it was ending. So I bought six more months, and uh, there was a little code on my ticket, and I put it in. I'm like, "What the hell is this?" And it gave me a free digital download for Tom Clancy's uh, what you just mentioned, The Division. Yeah. Wow. So and I do, I cool thought game. of you. I was like, "Oh yeah." I was thinking, I'm like, "Is this the one that Molly still plays with Overwatch?" Yep. So yeah, you do like that? You give it a you give it a uh, it's worth. A I mean, the thing try. is, I was like, I I come at it as a single player game. I don't really do much of the multiplayer. So oh really? Yeah. Oh really? So you feel even for single player, yeah. it's worth it? I mean, it's, oh, wow. it's for me. It's because I I love exploring. I love just like kind of seeing the city. I love that kind of thing. I love the apocalypse oh. thing. I love like winter kind of set you know set games. So it's really? a, it's a lot of things that like I really really like. Um, oh, I got it. Check that out. But, you know, it's kind of like when those games like uh, Destiny or things like that, like almost Mm -hmm. on an MMO RPG level where there's a lot to do and there's some parts that are really, really hard if you don't have other players like to be on a team with you. Right. Um, So you have to be really patient or be ready to kind of, you know, do the multiplayer when you need it. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Well, I will definitely check that out. And uh, as we wrap it up here, I'll be respectful to you to see if you have any parting words or anything else. Uh, The only thing I'll say, if uh, people aren't sick of hearing me talk and read, uh, the next time we record, I might have the new Neo Geo of visual history. um, I really want to order that. I I can't justify it, but I really want it. Well, we will see how things work. <laughs> Don't even out. say Maybe that. S- no, you you're the motorium on you sending me things. You're not allowed <laughs> so, to. How much is it? How it, much is it though? I'm assuming the standard edition which, you know, only doesn't have the slip cover. I bet you it's going to cost you the ballpark of 50 with shipping maybe. Yeah. Mine was a little more cuz I had the slip case. I did not do the gold edition, but nonetheless, I do get updates on it. Uh and I literally saw the truck, the pat they took a shot of the truck with the pallet. A few days ago, so I think they're going to start packing and stuff. I think it will start shipping next week, so that's going to come from the UK. I bet you I get it from Lucky the end of the first week of November. And then a Kickstarter recently, which closed out, that wrapped up, and I, I got to be done with these books, all this shit. I supported the Sega Dreamcast Collected Works. That was the other one. That was the other one that was kind of yeah. uh, calling to me. That one, good deal, because here's the thing. I got the, the Mega Drive one a couple years ago, and you don't have that, do you? No. So maybe we'll have to see. What would you rather – do you like Mega Drive or Neo Geo more? I'm not answering that know, question so for you. <laughs> i tell you what, between you and me, the, and I, we'll see how the Neo Geo book is. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. I think the Neo Geo is that, more interesting, to be honest. That Mega Drive book is – I love that Mega mm. Drive book. I know, I, I but here's the thing. So that's why it was a no-brainer to do this Dreamcast one coming up. The only thing is it doesn't hit till November 2018. Uh, the only thing I will say about it, they had three special editions, which all it was was like a slipcase. And they had Jet Set Radio, Shenmue, and Fantasy Star Online, and they looked awesome. But even I could not justify Because here's the deal. That book I ordered, and you figure this is UK pricing with shipping, it cost me just, it cost me 57 bucks. That's with shipping from the UK, and it's trustworthy because I've got their other book. Totally two thumbs up, right? Mm-hmm. And they're pretty fair. They give you updates. They're on time. With these slip covers, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to do one of these because I figure realistically, I bet you it's going to be another 20, 30 <laughs> bucks, which is still a lot of money. These books were like 150, like yeah. three times the price. Um, and then I think they got, I don't know what the number was, seven or 10 at the last minute because they will have Yu Suzuki contributing because they got way over their budgets, which means it's going to have more pages and all that crap. Yu Suzuki will be signing some of them and all that kind of stuff. But man, I could not justify like north of 150 bucks for the slipcase edition. That was crazy. But um, so we'll see how the Neo Geo book turns out. And uh, I'll do my last round of plugs well, you here. Know, wait, wait, before. Yep, yep. I'm, I'm shocked you didn't talk about this because we talked about the super nintendo classic edition uh which by the way one of the things i hate about it i think one of the kind of things that turned me off versus the nes one was the nes one the control reports were actual control reports okay and, the super, and i think i know you're the super nes okay. is like this weird like hatch you open like i don't know why they did that that's that's really weird. i only know this because i saw videos online i did not realize though that that was different than the nes i didn't realize yeah. the nes, the NES had, had like actual... where the actual control reports were it uses those little wii those wii you know re- oh. remote port things okay yeah um yeah but it's funny to go along with that just as the super nintendo classic edition is hitting uh nt analog 
which they made. I don't remember the exact, the actual name of it, but they were one of the companies to make those kind of replica Nintendo or NESs. I, th- I think it was Analog NT, wasn't it? Yeah, Analog. I yeah, you're right, Analog NT. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was very expensive. It was like this weird aluminum shell and everything like that. And they did kind of like a more cheaper one later on with a plastic shell and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. They just revealed that they're doing a Super Nintendo version. I, s- I believe I saw that. And it did maintain an SNES-style look, correct? It's, 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 much, it's much shorter. It it's almost looks like, if you look at it, it almost kind of looks like a Neo Geo as well. Because it has that yeah, kind of Neo th- Geo style with like a gigantic cartridge slot on it. Yeah, I know I saw it. Yeah. But it says, um, a reimagining of perhaps the greatest video game system of all time, engineered with an FPGA, no emulation, 1080p, zero lag, total accuracy, the Super NT is not a plug-and-play toy, it is a de- definitive way to explore Nintendo's 16-bit era. Compatible with the 2,200-plus Super Nintendo and Super Famicom game cartridge library, Explore and relive one of the greatest video game systems of all time with no compromises. You know, so we talked before on this um, about the Analog NT and then also the one that I got, which was the... Now I'm totally forgetting the name of it. Yeah, the I know what you're talking AVS, about. AVS, the Retro AVS yeah. is the name of it. Uh, yeah. These, are, these aren't like your Retron kind of things that are basically software emulators. These have... It's... I. I can never think it's like something programmable, something, something. It's like basically the the chip inside it, you can program to be and th- well, think it is a different kind of, of chip or okay. set of hardware. So this is hardware programmed to think it is a Super Nintendo. So that wow. it's not, it's not a, as an emu- a software emulator running games. It's basically kind of emulating the hardware itself. It's almost like reprinting the chip, except it's maybe not the exact same chip that was technically used, but it thinks it is. It acts the same. Yeah, it's it's the the theory is is that if everything works the way it's supposed to, that it's it thinks it's a Super Nintendo. Right. Not that it's like a Raspberry Pi running a Super Nintendo sure. emulator. That it's a Super Nintendo. Wow. So it's um. It'll it'll play both Super Nintendo and Super Famicom cartridges. It's region free. It's worldwide compatible. The PSU is uh, 100 to 240 volts, 50 to 60 hertz. It can do HDMI, 1080p, 720p, 480p, NTSC and PAL support, uh, lag free, zero signal degradation, and then audio stuff. Um, has an SD card slot where you can update the firmware, and then it's got like scanline options and scaler options. And horizontal and vertical stretch and positioning and stuff like that. So this is this Can is it, kind of like you're buying. If you the the thought is, you're buying a new Super Nintendo, hmm. but one that has some you know visual options. One that is HDMI and HDMI only. By the way, it cannot do any kind of like component or anything else out. And it, well, and it, it uses. Uh, I'm sorry. And it uses a uh, regular. It can use Super Nintendo cartridges, or they do have a new set of wireless Bluetooth controllers that, that kind of emulate the old, you know, Super Nintendo dog bone style controller. Right. Um, there are four colors. There is a Super Famicom color scheme, a Super Nintendo color scheme, 
an all black and then a see-through clear. And it's Oh, wow. um, I don't think I saw those. Yeah. And it is coming in February of next year for $189. Mm. Well, I tell you, you know, it's very tempting. You know, I haven't got like I love all my retro games and all the digital stuff and I, you know, I go back as far as in terms of what I currently own like PS1 and I still have a little bit of Saturn stuff and all that. But, you know, I haven't wanted to go full-blown into something like this because of all the digital we now own and all the crap I've got. But the one I'm still kind of holding out for, and this could, you know, it could be uh, a bad bill of goods or it could be a pipe dream. And I don't know if they're going to be able to come through with what they're saying. I've got my eye on the Poly Mega. Yes. And I don't know what the modules and stuff. And I'm almost thinking because they make it sound like it might be default with the CD drive, which plays it as PS1. and. You know, I still have a decent PS1 collection, and then I would probably do maybe the Mega. I would do the Mega Drive add-in, especially if it could play something like Paprium. But I don't think I would take it too much further than that because then you figure you got to get into everything else. But I do like the look of it, and it's supposed to have some online capabilities. Uh, I think we've talked about it, but are you still keeping a little bit of an eye on that one? Yeah, I am. You know, it's it's not the same kind of thing because it's not the FPGA. You know, so it's right. I don't think it's going to have quite the accuracy level. Um, but it is a really, really interesting idea. In a weird way, it actually reminds me of the uh, the Laser Active that existed back in the day. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, why is it ringing a well, bell? Cause, yeah, because the Pioneer Laser Active was this, this laser disc player that then had an open slot. And in that slot, oh, yeah, yes, you could, yes, you could no, plug you're exactly right. a yes, the Genesis, Genesis or, or Turbo Graphics, yeah, Turbo Graphics uh, uh, unit into it. And you're basically plugging in a reformatted version of those consoles that's that had right reports that could then use the the ld drive to play the the cd games and all that in the cartridge slot and all that kind of stuff yes no the polymeg i think is, is is definitely a really interesting if it if it works out like i'm really curious to see if it does um right. but i think you know with like the the what is this called again the super nt is you know there is something like nice and reassuring about the idea of getting these kind of new era reproductions, either that use mm-hmm. the old hardware. I think the original analog NT actually just took the guts of Famicoms and reworked them, I think is what it did originally. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, or use these kind of programmable chips to have this, okay, it'll play my cartridges and it'll work in HDMI and it's a, you know, and I know it's going to be there just in case. Like, I kind of like the just-in-caseness of this. Mm-hmm. You know, that that I don't have a huge library of, of Super Nintendo games. But I was just going to ask you. I didn't realize you still had some. I do. I do. I'm trying to think of how. Maybe like 20 or so. Um, <clears throat> wow. But it's one of those kind of things of like, okay, if I wanted to play one, I do still have my Super Nintendo as well. But how would I play it, you know? Like, would I just hook it straight up to my HDTV oh, I see. Yeah, somehow? For, sure, and, sure. And how would that run? Like, for Genesis, I did recently purchase... Um, there's the company that's making the specialty cables that made a <clears throat> Genesis me. component cable. Really? Yeah, and I, I did purchase that pretty recently, so I have that once I get my Genesis fixed. Um, but stuff like the Super Nintendo... My old NES, the, you know, the Neo Geo, like all these kind of old systems I have, it's, it is a question of how do I actually play these if I want to play them again? 
you know. And so, and so something like this, like the Superenti, it's a really nice backup to have around just in case. But then again, like mm. like you know, you're waiting for the Polymega. And I'm yeah, curious that's the gamble. Like, like if that does yeah. work, that might be even the better solution. Right. Right. Hmm. Which for Polymega, for people who don't know, uh, it's kind of if you look at it, and this is going to be like you know eight people are going to understand what I'm talking about. It almost kind of looks like if you think about the old Turbo Graphics 16 and and Turbo CD, like how they kind of plugged together into this kind of bigger machine. Right. It's it, the duo. Yeah, it's got it's got a it's got a dock where um the main dock has I think like kind of the main processor stuff and the power supply and the disk drive and things like that. And then you can kind of plug these cartridge things into it. And the cartridge things are each based around a certain system. So for example, one would be a cartridge that handles the Mega Drive Genesis and 32X. So that has a cartridge slot that then will play those kind of games. It has two Genesis controller ports on it, and you plug that into the kind of main dock thing, and the whole system then becomes basically a Genesis. But then you can take that that cartridge out and plug in one for the NES, and all of a sudden you have an NES. You know, that's that's the idea. The idea is like a plug and play piece of hardware a console that exists that can play your cartridges that can play your your cd games um but that can be reformatted to be other consoles so that you have Mm. so that you have all the hardware there in order to use those old games right you should take uh you should take some photos of your retro collection uh the problem is i don't have it most of it here with me is it uh, Nebraska? Yeah, it's back home in my parents' place. Okay. Um, oh, okay. In storage. So I, I, I do have... The thing is, like, I got rid of my... And it's funny because I kind of miss these. And I, I, I will give everybody a piece of advice if, if you can afford to do so. <laughs> if you're ever getting rid of old game libraries and collections, always keep the hardware if you can. Like, get rid of the games if you want to. You know, maybe keep a couple that you really, really love, but keep the hardware because I had Turbo CD and I mean Turbo Graphics 16 and Turbo CD. I had Turbo Tap and five controllers, and then I had Turbo Duo with Turbo Tap and five controllers. So I had two completely decked out systems um, that I I sold both of them. You know, and, mm. and now if I ever wanted to sit down just to play a Turbo game like old school proper way. I have no hardware and I had a Neo Geo pocket color um, that I had a great collection, like a great collection for. And I sold that and I sold the hardware as well. So now if I ever want to play a game like that, like I don't have the hardware. And so I think if you can get away with it, don't sell the hardware, keep at least the hardware. I'm surprised. I didn't know. I'm surprised you don't have a pocket. Yeah. Those are the two that I don't have currently. Wow. I have like, Everything else that I cared about, like I don't have a 3DO because I never really cared about it. Don't have a CDI. Um, I don't have a Jaguar. I don't. Oh, I, you're not missing. I used to have one. Yeah, you're not. Don't worry. Yeah, about I'm that. not. Yeah, I actually bought. I bought the, one the junk game war. For it, thinking I might get it, and I never got a Jaguar. Uh, uh, Tempest 2000. No, uh, it was was it Club Drive Rally. Oh Jesus! So I really love those kind of like top down racing games. 
Over did you did you download Overtop? Uh which one is that? That's the Neo Geo. It's downloaded. It's on PS4. Oh yeah, no, I haven't tried it yet. Like I've been really really curious yeah. about it, but I'm not sure if it's a good game or not. So yeah, I keep meaning to. Oh, like, a- I've been thinking about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so like you know, I kind of miss having that hardware just in case. Right. Like other other stuff, I still have the hardware for everything, even if the collections I have are small. Hmm. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a pretty decent... I have a really big Dreamcast collection currently. I have an okay Saturn collection. I have a handful of Sega CD stuff. So I know I have Snatcher. I know I have Kayo and a few of the kind of, like, rare things. Um, I know I have the Lunars. I have a smaller, like, Mega Drive collection. I have... And okay, like, I'm missing some of my NES games. I don't know where they've gone. So I have, I actually have some of the NES games here with me, but I'm missing, like, the rest of them. I have a smaller Super Nintendo collection. Um, okay, Genesis. And then, you know, for the systems, like, random stuff. Let me ask you this. So you have, uh, you said Saturn? Yeah. Do you have any of the following... All Japan Pro Wrestling featuring Virtua Fighter? No. Burning Rangers Limited Edition? No. King of Fighters Best Collection, 95, 96, 97? I have the individual games. And lastly, do you have X-Men vs. Street Fighter? I don't think I have that because... Really? I have a friend who had that on Saturn. Mm-hmm. And so I played it with him. Because I have, I know, you, I'm trying to think, like, like fighting game-wise, I have... Om- well, here's why I asked. Do, okay. do, you, do, you, do you have any interest in any of that stuff? Um, the King of Fighters I have. Bring Rangers, I wouldn't need. Like, X-Men vs. Street Fighter I wasn't really into. Mm. I was only into it when it became Marvel vs. Capcom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, I did, like, the wrestling game, but, like, not enough to really own it. Because these are the last four that I own in mint condition that I did not part with, ah, but I got rid of all my equipment. Ninety percent, I have them sitting here in a case. But I didn't know, you know, I didn't want to just give them away to anyone. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'll keep it in mind. I'm trying to like so. I, sh- I I I'm curious to know like what the, which like I don't have Panzer Dragoon Saga. Like I don't have that. Well. Um, well, <laughs> well, no, my my. I used to. I had a copy. My, and I eBayed it not had it. long yeah, after. Had it. Um, yeah. I, I think, I don't remember if I sold it or not, but I do, I did have Magical Knight Ray Earth, the US version. I used to have, yeah, I had all the good, I used to have that. I wonder what the rare Saturn games are. Mm-hmm. I used to have the Shining Force 3. Because um, part of the problem would be, like, if I had a friend or if I had a roommate that had certain games, and I knew I had access mm-hmm. to it, I didn't end up buying those games. Right. It looks like Shining Force, like my roommate was into. <sighs> I can't. I don't think I have Radiant Silver Gun. I'm trying to remember if I do or not. Yeah, I I used to have that, but so I know I, I know I talked to my friend into getting it, and he had it. Um, do you have it? Uh, do you have a download 360 slash Xbox One? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I have. Yeah. I do have Guardian Heroes US. Um, wow. Burning Rangers. I may or may not have Dragon Force. I may or may not have Albert Odyssey. Don't have Rare Earth. I might still have. Um, I'm looking at like the rare 
games. Hmm. I saw, I've told this story, I think, on this show before. I sold my original Guardian Heroes once for lunch money. <laughs> that's the problem. That's it? the problem is like, is like you look back now, like now that you, now you, you know, time has passed. Mm-hmm. Anything about the games that like you got rid of, like you traded in like the GameStop for like, you know, five bucks or something like that. Right. And you're just like, oh my God, I was just so dumb to have gotten rid of that. <laughs> you know, there's a few games like, like that. Um, like I still have like my Suikoden two, but I still have Snatcher. Snatcher's one of the big ones I still have. And I, through through interviews I've read, this number's not hard, like definite. But I heard rumor that there may have been no more than four hundred copies of that Snatcher made. Really? That's what I I'll have to look to where I found that. So take that with a grain of salt. There is definitely no more that I think than a few hundred copies of that. Which pro- yeah. I wonder, yeah. What, wonder what it goes for on eBay. Five ninety nine, three hundred, five ninety nine, two fifty eight, two fifty eight for just the disc. Wow! I really wanted to. I, I really wanted to get the booklet from that and get Kojima to sign it when I met him, but I didn't have a chance to do that. Mm. I, you know, I was always sour. I always thought it would make a perfect fit for today's handhelds, like the three DS or even the Vita. I just don't know why they never dumped that on, like three DS or re released it on Game. Card. You know, I'm shocked. I am shocked that we never got police knots. I heard, uh, I don't know if we talked about this, but I heard that game was literally done sitting like in a warehouse, and I don't remember at the last moment what. I've read that story too, why it never got released, so to speak. But like, I think there's even old manuals or things from back in the day where there's the advertisement for the game with the American box. Because hmm. I mean, I mean, yeah, like, even heard- at the time, I can understand not getting it, but like, in the year since, how have we mm. never gotten that? Yeah, I don't know. And not to beat a dead horse, I really don't know how Snatcher hasn't got redumped on something because that did technically arrive. And you figure and you figure Konami like it's interesting right now because Konami seems to be like dumping all old assets like for like for example, all the soundtracks and stuff they still have to prove going on vinyl and like a lot of memorabilia um there's first there's that zone of the like they're trying to re-milk stuff like zone of the end of second runner like taking stuff that was like loved or good and modifying it for release again so that's another reason why i'm surprised with snatcher why they don't try to milk the diehards on something on work that's already done and just have someone yeah you know they could probably beat someone in the office and whip them to get it converted but yeah that surprises me i don't know i'm looking at Be- i'm looking at rare streamcast games Bangalore Prize Edition don't have Border Down. Border Down is like one of those kind of late era. I still own that. Oh, do you have Border? How you much have, is that going you have Border for? Border Down. Yeah, how much is that going well, for? Well, this site says two fifty to two eighty. This is Dreamcast, correct? Yeah. I'm gonna. Look, I'm on my backlogger. I'm gonna look at my Dreamcast. Yeah, so I own Border Down. Yeah. Wow, that's that's actually that's actually. Okay. I think I own. 50, I think I own about 50 Dreamcast, 54 Dreamcast titles. Because there was, because Border Down and then Under Defeat were two of the ones that came out kind of post, like, I, decently post-death. I don't have Under Defeat on Dreamcast, but I have a physical version on PS3. Yeah, yeah, I have I have that, but I don't have the Dreamcast version. Um, Ikaruga I do have. I have that. What's that going for? Uh, it says 16 to 95. How much? Sixty to ninety-five. Okay, okay. okay. Um, so U.S. releases. Um, this one surprises me. Like the range. Uh, Project Justice. I do have that. The, the rivals. I rivals do not. Too. 
It says $60 to $400. Whoa. That's crazy. Um, wow. Marvel vs. Capcom 2, I have. I do have that import. Yeah, this, this is the American version. Okay. I think, I think the import one's like easier to get. Uh, Cannon Spike, I have that. I have that. What's that going 31 for? 31 to 180. Whew. Uh, Power Stone 2, I do not have because I didn't like Power Stone 2. Nor, I don't have that either. Uh, Street Fighter 3 Third Strike, I have that. I do, but I have all Japanese on Which those. Which is 35 to 105. Um, Bangayo, I think, I don't think I have that. I have that. That's uh, 45 to 90. I don't, I don't know if I, because I know I have that on, on uh, DS, but I don't know if I have. Yeah, and I like, yeah, that's version. a cool little version. I like that one. Um, Mark of the Wolves, I have that, uh, US version. Yeah, I got import. Uh, Mars Matrix, I have that. Import or domestic? Domestic. Really? I don't know. Oh, wow. I've got import on that. Yeah. Which, by the way, on a side note, since we're on this, uh, I hope we're not boring listeners. Mars Matrix, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Bullet Hell, and that's what I consider one of the earliest Bullet Hell, but I actually really like that. I game. really like it too. Like, and then it's kind of the same kind of way. Uh, at the time, I didn't really like Bullet Hell stuff. And I really wish that game, like, I would, like, I would love to see somehow, like, M2 for the shot trigger stuff. Like, yeah, pick that up. Mars Matrix, I would, is excellent. Because it's, st- in a weird way, it still felt like you had real levels and it was still felt like a shooter somehow. Yeah. Like a traditional. Uh, the last two are Marvel vs. Capcom, the first one. I, I can't remember if I had that one or not. I've got import. And then Tech Romancer, which I uh, might have the import version of that. I remember seeing that at the store I worked at and having it in my hand, but I do not own that. Yeah. So that's what, that's, How much is that going for? Uh, anywhere from 25 to 100 Didn't that come with like an anime? Am I making that up? Um, oh, my nuts. I thought it had some sort of something anime. Maybe I'm totally crazy. I don't know. How about uh, I'm looking at my list Oh, here. I do Who have the, the I have the broadband adapter which is now rare. How much is that thing going for like 50 100? Uh loose price it says is 179.99. Oh, M- Molly, do you want to know how stupid I am? <laughs> did you mention under defeat? Uh I yes. And I and what did I say? I said I don't have it and I had it on PS3. Yeah. Uh I do have uh Dreamcast version. Oh, really? So we. I have, as a matter of fact, if I'm looking at this right, I have Under Defeat Limited Edition import. They don't. They don't have that. They have Border Down Limited Edition. <laughs> Unless I'm on drugs when I did this list, I have Under Defeat Limited Edition Japanese version. Wow. Do you have, is is your Border Down Limited Edition or regular? I want to say limited, but I will. I will double check. The, the limited is two fifty to two eighty. Yeah. I have to take that one. I'm up, but I I specifically have written down on defeat limited on my list, which is crazy. See, I, those were like games like I I, I really wanted to get because I love the Dreamcast, but it was so hard for me at the time just to justify getting those. Mm. Crazy. Mm. Uh, yeah, I'm just looking at the list. I think we went over all the. I've got Jet Set Radio import. I got Domestic Grandia two. Uh, yeah, I have that. Yeah. I have some of the Neo Geo dev team stuff. I wonder if any of that stuff went up. It might have. I mean, a lot of stuff is like pretty limited. Yeah. I like that later I, era stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think I have three of their titles on Dreamcast, and that's when I had a call. I wanted to keep getting it, but I'm like, I can't keep doing this shit. So you know what? You I've know, got... for our listeners, I'd be curious, like, what are the rarest games you have? 
for any, any in any platform like like what are the rare like i'm curious to know you know and you can tell us in email you can tell us on twitter and the contact information is in the show, show notes um i'm curious about either what's the rarest game that you have that you were pretty certain was going to be rare and what's the rarest game you have that you didn't know was going to be rare because mm. like two yeah. like two for me and this is a very recent one but um the u.s physical version of gravity rush remastered like i had no clue that was going to be rare and i've got a copy of that it's just it's one of those games like it was only on amazon and they only had a set amount of physical copies printed and once they were gone they were gone like i i, I never expected that that would be a game that be, would become rare Let's see, Gravity Rush. Speaking of that, as you're looking that up, I believe Gravity Rush 2, their servers go down in January. Yes, it's so sad. Yeah. It's really, really sad. That's that's so sad. Like, like only about a year or so. And there are... Yeah. My understanding... I believe... I could be wrong. I believe there might be a few things you can only get through playing online. Mm. Because you need Dusty tokens to unlock stuff. And I can't remember if it's impossible or impossible to get those offline only um so gravity rush remastered right now new is 149 which not super super high but yeah see my i'm in a weird situation i have that game physical but i got the multi-language version from asia ah yeah yeah and then um the other one i was thinking of that i have that i never would have even thought of which it would make sense if i thought about it at the time but it's like rule of rule of the rule of rose for PS2, which like I had no thought that that would become as rare as it did. <laughs> mm. So I'm curious. Like, and our listeners, take a minute, tweet at us, email us, and let us know either way or both ways. Like, what is what are a couple of the rarest games you have? Oh, I'm looking at my list. I know what you want from my list. They'll make you jealous. Oh. PS2, Death by Degrees, Tekken's Nina Williams. I've never played that. Really? No. <laughs> uh, I actually got to the end of that game. Um, hey, are you still looking up stuff? So you want to just do one or two more? I'm just looking at my list here. PS2. I've got a rare one. Okay. Akira Cycle Ball Pinball. Hmm... And that was supposed to come stateside too, believe it or not. So is it like the import? So I have, uh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that that really weird Kiss first person shoot? Was it Kiss? Ooh. No, what was it? Dreamcast. Uh, Dreamcast. Was it Kiss? What was that really weird Kiss Psycho Circus? Isn't that what it was? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. That's when their album. Yeah, you're That's right. So weird. Uh, Akira is yes. not anything. Nothing. No. Really? Yeah. That is... Uh, let me do one more. How about domestic release, Gradius 3 and 4-pack? For PS2? Yeah. And I'll give you one more. PS2. Random. I can, let's see. eBay is like... Let's see. Um... <sighs> I don't even see, like, the U.S. version. Hmm. I'm not sure. I have to like look. So yeah, I'm what, not even. I'm, well, not, I'm, not even I'm not even seeing like a U.S. version. 
what, <laughs> what about Gun Griffin Blaze working designs? Yeah, I'm not. There's no. There's, let's see. Yeah, hey, may, hey, I can set my own price. Gun Griffin Blaze <laughs> PS2. Uh, no, it's like seven ninety nine. Oh, that's it. Huh? Yeah. Hmm. I'll tell you. You know, there's there's uh. A couple of really rare PS2 games that I wish I had. Um, what are they? One I had, and I sold it, because I wasn't really totally digging it, but now I kind of, mm-hmm. it's like, damn, I want to go back and try it again, but I can't because it's too expensive. Um, Haunting Ground. You know what? It's so funny. That's one I don't have in my collection that I kind of wanted. I Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I, I had that, and I probably sold it for some stupid little amount. Let's see, and it's now... 140 89.99 starting price 164 189 um and then there was uh there was a really weird let's see if i can find it um i look if you're listening at this point just deal deal with <laughs> give it. yourself a medal you can you can just shut the <laughs> podcast off for right now you're not going to miss anything this is just us mm-hmm. just messing this is where here. we're going to start to talk on political talk stuff we were too ashamed yes. to talk normally um let's see molly's game wish list there was a ps2 horror game that i really wanted that is going to be impossible to get at this point i think there was one other game too and you you mentioned something that reminded me of it but i can't remember now um kuon kuon for ps2 oh yeah yeah. Like, I really want to try that. That's like $148 at this point. Wow. Kingsfield Agent City, I'm curious about for, for PS2, and that's $143. There's a few, like, the problem, and I and this is, I know, a first world problem, um, but this is always a problem with games, is you tend to make judgments about which game should I get right now because it might disappear. Right. And which game can I wait on? And there's there's a few games that I've completely botched in terms of, <laughs> oh, yeah, I can totally wait on this game. I'll have no problem. Mm-hmm. I'll get it. No big deal. And and then not add to cart. Um, and then it just, like, becomes impossible to find. And then there's games like, I need to buy this right here and now, because if I don't, I'm never getting it again. And then, like, um, two months later, it's, like, half the price. Right. You know? And it's just like, oh, it's just so frustrating. One of the ones I'm probably most proud of import on PS2, and it came late, was the Arc System Works version of Hooked and Oaken I have. Ah. Uh. That game was, look, was awesome. And that came late. Like here, mm. I'll, 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 I'll. Here's a, a sad one. Um, I guess it's seven used for three, three nine nine nine. There's like a game called Dark Spire on DS, and I bought that from a fries for like eight dollars. And then I hadn't opened it yet, and I was thinking, like, you know what? I'm, I don't know if I'm gonna play this game or not. I should just take it back. Let's see what the price is on this now. I bought it for like eight bucks, and it's it's going for like on eBay, And like I had an unopened copy sitting there that I bought for eight dollars. Wow! I'm like, nah, I'll just take it back. I'm not gonna play it. Oh, so you did? You did return? Yeah, it? I returned it. Wow. 
And now I wish I hadn't. Hmm. There was some other PS2 game I've been wanting to. It's really rare, but I can't remember now. That's you know the thing is like is, and that it's it's getting better now because of the digital games you know. So you can say like, Gravity Rush Remastered. You can just buy it digitally and not worry about it. If it's one of those platforms where you do like having the physical versions, it just drives you crazy. <laughs> I mean, I remember I spent years. I spent literally years looking for the import copy of Twinkle Star Sprites on Dreamcast. Oh, it's so funny you mentioned it. You finish your point first, and I'll say something about that. No, it's just like like now it's not hard to find. So, so there was a uh, there's uh, look. This is like every week now. This is nothing new. There's a sale. There's like a flash sale. Mm-hmm. There's like a Halloween sale going on right now for real. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't even know why I look. And they had a bunch of stuff on sale. And one of the things on sale was ADK Damashi PS2 Classic on PS4. And you can get it for like five bucks or whatever. Have you gotten that? I'll probably pick it up. I haven't picked it up yet. Uh, Only reason I say is, you know, because uh, Twinkle Star on there. Yeah, but it's so funny that for years I looked for that for Dreamcast when I was still collecting Dreamcast stuff. And I never found it or it was just crazy amounts of money. And then I finally gave up. And then once I gave up, then after that, I started finding it for like cheaper and cheaper prices. <laughs> the, the kind of Dreamcast fever was over at that point. Do you own a physical of it? I don't. I never actually got it. Oh, wow. I never ended up getting it. Wow. Wow. Like, I, I probably will one day if I can find it for a cheap enough price. You know, just, just yeah. to kind of say I finally got it. But Now, you have, you've played the game? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah you like it? I do. Yeah. It's really yeah, interesting. Like, like, it's a unique kind of idea. Yeah. I like it as well. Hmm. Well, how's uh, how's your week looking? This week? you got some new stuff. You got a review for EGM coming up, or any other side projects? I'm trying to or? figure out like what I'm going to review next, like because I know there's been a few. Um, I wanted to try to see if I could get Summon Night Six, for example. And there's something else out too, and there's I just got an email from a company. Um, they're releasing a visual novel maker. It's, it's kind of like RPG Maker, yeah, but it's a visual novel. It's like novel making link. visual wow. novels. I think it's Dekika is the company who's doing it. So I'm like really curious about that. So I was trying to see if I could squeeze in. I'm assuming Steam or PC? Yeah, Steam uh, for PC, Mac, and maybe Linux. Hmm. So I was going to see if I could just kind of try to do. So I think the whole like the, RP, the, like, the RPG Maker kind of stuff is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I have actually on back on PS2. I have that fighter maker, for example. Oh, really? I forgot about that. Yeah, because I think the first, I think the first one was PS One, which I don't have. But then I know I can't remember if Part One ever came out in America or not. But then Part Two, like I've never, I've never really sat down with it. But I think the whole, all, all that kind of stuff is really interesting. Taking a look here at some random stuff you have. I know you have quite the DS collection. Did you ever uh, add Aliens Infestation to it by Way Forward? I did. Yeah, that was a nice one. Um, I was in a weird mood in trying to finish out the Dragon Quest collection on there. Don't ask me why I was doing such a random thing. But uh, there's a few DS games I still need to get. Um, I think I'm. I think I hit two hundred. Because wow, I own a lot. I'm not bragging. I own a lot on those handhelds, and that's that is a lot. Two on DS two hundred. Yes. Whew. 
I I think I that might be that might at this point be the largest collection I've ever had. Because I know I know I had a lot of Turbo games just because of how cheap I got them for. But I don't think I was that close. So I so because Vita I just broke a hundred. I've got I'm up to wow. one hundred one right now. Oof. No, I'm sorry, I'm one hundred two. One hundred two. Um, and this you got to update your backloggery. I know, I know, I do, I know. And this is physical, to be clear. Like I have tons of sure. Vita, like digital stuff. Um, wow. But yeah, I think I think DS at this point is my biggest collection ever. I have seventeen Vita titles. That's, that's my. What's that? It's not bad. Yeah, it's a lot more than a lot of people have. I uh, my large. I'm cheating because I'm looking at my numbers, excluding digital. My largest collection of what I currently own belongs to. Do you know what system? Current, current. Oh well, when I say no, no, current, I mean, like I mean, I mean, that you currently own it in, in this time in your life right now. Yeah, so like if you look at literally everything I own, which I have logged in terms of physical games, excluding digital stuff, which console? Post the technical most number of physical titles. I now. would say PS2. Yeah, you're right on. Hey. But I will tell you, PlayStation 3, and I didn't think I'd... So PS2, that number is 129, including imports. I got to tell you, PS3 was coming right up to the wire on that, but it didn't do it because I figured Persona 5 was the last physical. Mm-hmm. Persona 5 marked 122 hmm. on PS3. That's a lot. I know. But I mean, are you the kind that like? Because I have I have a coworker who buys a lot of games. Like, mm-hmm. like I mean, in terms of just like what he's finished. Obviously, he plays some games for work, right? But in terms of he's finished, he's beaten. I think at this point, like seventy some games for this year. Wow! And he will go out and buy like a bunch of those games, mm-hmm. even if he played them for work, and then he never gets rid of them. They're just in his collection. So now, what's your question to so me? Like, in terms are you of the like kind of person like? Are, do you like a buy game and then just keep it forever? Ninety-five percent of the time, there's exceptions. If I'm in a weird mood and buy like some crap or like, like when I say crap, like just something that's out of character for me. But ninety-five percent of the time, solid. No, I won't. I. Yeah, I won't go. I mean, there was an exception a couple years ago when I unloaded a bunch of my Saturn stuff, and part of that was because just it had been so long, and I had a lot of the stuff I wanted digitally again, and I just knew I wasn't hooking it up again. So that was a rare instance. But yeah, I mean, a lot of my stuff, like it's, I should I should be banned from buying any more games. But yeah, I mean, I yeah, I mean, as of right now at this point in my life, yeah, very rare that I sell. See, my problem is 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 not necessarily that I don't want to get rid of certain things because. I used to be really, really big into the collection stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and then I think I might talk about this before, but, but the whole reviewing anime completely broke me of that once my collection oh, right. got ridiculous. Um, so, like, it's not like I necessarily want to have all these collections anymore. Like, DS and Vita are my two kind of collections that I allow myself to have. But for me, it's just kind of like, I, you know, you look at trade-in values and it's like, okay, I'll get 480 for this game. You know, and it's just like, at that point, I'd rather just keep it, you know, because just right. giving me that little bit of money for this game just it, feels like just so wasteful. And, you know, it's, oh, keep going, I'm no, sorry. Like, I, mean, I just don't want to give it to GameStop and have them, you know, like maybe they're going to maybe throw, throw the case out and then just 
put the disc mm. in a sleeve and put the sleeve on a shelf and that's how they sell it, you know. <laughs> I just don't want to, like, get rid of these games. Like, I want these games, if I'm getting rid of them, to go to somebody who's going to actually care about them and want to play them, but... Um, in a weird way, and I could be putting the jinx on this, in a weird way of all the stuff I own, the sum of the stuff that could wind up being the most valuable, and I don't have, like, a ton of it, is what I've only gotten recently in the last couple of years is my vinyl. Ah, that might, you know what I mean? That could sneakily, some of that stuff could shoot up, you know, I, I think because there's such limited quantities of that stuff and it's so obscure, you know, a couple months ago, a few months ago, and I got this on Amazon, believe it or not. You want to know one of the oddest things I ordered and it probably cost me about 22 bucks. Hmm. I found a Metal Gear Rising soundtrack on vinyl. Oh, weird. Yeah. Odd, huh? That is really weird. Yeah, so I mean, some of that stuff has got, and one that I, I obviously haven't opened it because a lot of the stuff is sealed right now. One of the ones that has shot up rapidly was the limited edition Sonic Mania one I got. Yeah, yeah. There were people trying to fetch it. But yeah, anyway, it's weird how that works because that's something that I never, you know, it was kind of just an off shot. And, but some of that stuff could crazily, I think, shoot up over some of our main game line stuff because you have, like, you got the Silent Hill one, correct? Yes. I do. Yeah, so I think something like I have I have no idea what it's worth right now, but you know, it's weird that stuff like that might wind up being the most expensive stuff we've Well, got. I mean, you saying that, uh I and if anybody wants it, let me know cuz I will absolutely <laughs> sell it to you. Um I have still completely sealed brand new the the four disc uh Last of Us soundtrack on vinyl. Oh. Oh wow! Which I think I paid like seventy five for that, and it's now like two twenty, two thirty, something like that. <sighs> wow! So if anybody out there does want it for for honest price, like uh, you know, not like going to go seventy five, one eighty, not going to go crazy above like what people are you know right. asking, but I'm not going <laughs> to undercut myself. But if if you're curious, like wow. I said, I have it. It's literally not even opened the box; it's still in the box, brand new. Wow. That's amazing. I've never seen that. So yes, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. Like I think this crazy kind of final resurgence it's is gonna end up because those you know, that and I mean it's you know, the whole like limited run games stuff that we're going through right now too with them and other companies. Right. Like I'm curious to see how those games over time end up going. There is only one. Oh, and by the way, speaking of them, they just announced today they got cleared to do limited runs of uh, Nintendo Switch games in 2018. Yes. By the way, with that being said, I own one limited run game, which was given to me by a fan as a gift. Thank you very much. That was way above and beyond awesome of you. And I know he's listening. I was sent a copy of Wonder Boy Three Dragon Strap on PS4. Oh. But there's only there is one limited run game because I don't want to get caught up in this. You know, getting into this hobby now. There is one game which they haven't released it that I would like physical. And that is Windjammers, which yeah. I know they're doing. Yep. But that is going to be oh. That is going to be a mess to get. And and the thing is is like, you know, right now the prices aren't aren't terrible. Like one of the biggest one of the rarest ones they've released is Breach and Clear, which is their very very first game. Uh for Vita, I think I I don't know if it was like a thousand copies or two thousand copies. Like it was the lowest run they That's made. probably about right, yeah. yeah. Um and you know, looking on eBay right now, it's like eighty one dollars, hundred and fifteen, thirty two, thirty eight. Um I know that's a different game. I guess like it's like, you know, 
there's a buy it now. I'm not sorry. It's not breach and clear. That's the PS4 version. That's why I'm confused. Okay. So there's like a a bidding one that's up to $81 bid wise. And then buy it now is for like $100, $291, Mm -hmm. $299, $279, stuff like that. You know, so that's absolutely. So there's 1,500 copies. That's absolutely the rarest one. You know, so that makes sense that it had like the highest. Price. Oh, so maybe so you think Windjammers, if I miss out, I might be able to get a decent price on. I, you know what? Look, I've never missed a game. I've bought a lot of them. Really? Games. I've bought a lot of them. I've never missed one. I've never had a problem. Wow. Let me ask you this because I'm on their mailing list and I haven't done it myself. I did this in case I want to order something. Do you notice you get the emails like it's like up now on our site and it's like five minutes before the hour? Does that seem to be correct every time or am I nuts? I, I feel like I get the emails like after it's already up and sold down. Oh. But it would make sense that it's like really close to do, when it goes up. Do they put it up on the even like do they put it up at seven AM hour time Pacific it, or is it six fifty five? No, it 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 goes up like right on the hour or like at like Okay. Or like at, you know, a one or something like that. Okay. But they, they do it in a way that they don't have the games up right before they go live because mm-hmm. with uh, Shopify, the the cart system they use, there is a way to trick it to get in there and get it into your cart early. <laughs> um, <laughs> but honestly, like I've never had a problem getting one of the games I wanted. Right. If, if you're there right, I always go for the afternoon one, so that's like 3 p.m. Pacific. Oh, okay, yeah, the second, yeah, it's, yeah, okay, yeah, the final batch or whatever. Yeah. Well, and I've no. never missed a game that I wanted. Um, but, you know, like, I'm curious to see, like, how those do price-wise as we go on. Because the thing with that is, like, some of those games are, like, smaller, weirder little games. And so I'm kind of thinking that maybe their pricing won't go as high as you would hope if you're a collector. You know? And, and the, the question, too, is going to be how, how, how strong is the Vita market, you know, going into the future? Um, right. But like vinyl, on the other hand, like I think vinyl is a really good potential place for some stuff getting really expensive because in the same way, it's like these limited runs happen once and they're gone. You know? For those listening, I have the limited edition unopened set of Res vinyl with book. And if you want that, I'll sell it to you for uh, 10 grand. <laughs> Let's see how much like Last of Us is. Last of Us. Vinyl. Speaking of this kind of stuff, because I know you're into JRPGs and such, and we're talking about limited run games and cheaper games out the gate, uh, a suggestion I have for you, and I'm only I have about two hours put into it, so it's not a whole ton. Did you uh, consider or pick up Battle Chasers? No, I'm not really into that. Uh, who's the artist? Not- Joe Mad. Joe Madera. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. no offense to him, I think he's I think he's a perfectly good artist, you know, and his stuff is neat. But like, I'm not really into that style. Mm. the game seemed interesting like i i did get a yeah. chance to play a little bit of it i would say for those who are still listening if they're not hanging from the ceiling at this point in the podcast uh, about 135 minutes in we're trying to match uh the time the runtime of blade runner <laughs> uh 2049 minutes uh, i stole that joke by the way from the net um yeah for those that are into late 90s style era uh comic book art um that type of uh coloring and detail so to speak uh should definitely give battle chasers a chance i i don't know uh wow is that did somebody actually buy that so yeah like the buy it now is for last of us or like 4.99 wow um it did sell though it sold for like a 223 and a 201 
315. So it's 325. So it's got some pretty good prices, 315. Wow. So, yes, I need to sell that so I can... Just sit, only because you're looking not to stretch this out. Get, what's the res vinyl going for? Res. Uh, that's some band named Res. So that's going to be tough. Uh, res Infinite vinyl video yeah. game soundtrack plus 7-inch book. Uh-huh. Uh, two twenty four. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah. Three hundred. For res? Yes. But I mean, like these are like two. Like, are, are these are these completed? But see, some of the other ones, it looks like it's gone for like ninety and eighty five. Okay. So then I think it's like depending like what day you're you're hit you hit it on you know yeah, and who happens to see it so. Hmm. Crazy. Well, um, I'll do a little do a little sign off here for those that are listening. They probably they know where to catch us. Uh, this is nothing new. We're still going to try and have a guest or two on. Uh, we really didn't get to talk about Cuphead today, but part of that was because, uh, in all honesty, with all the stuff we've got, I, I actually haven't gotten a copy of that. But I've watched some online videos. Uh, I still have interest in picking that up down the road. Yeah, I really, I really, really want to play it. I haven't had a chance to yet, but I'm really curious about it. Yeah, uh, yeah, Cuphead looking fun. Uh, as always, check us out at our main site, radio.morningproject.com. Find us on Twitter at 24bitaje. My one and only lovely co host, Molly, that's at Molly Penn on Twitter. That's M O L L I P E N. The official feed of Morning Radio can be found at Morn Radio, M O R N. R-A-D-I-O. Find us on iTunes. Just search Morning Radio or GVGP. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Uh, Check out EGM, the main website at egmnow.com and the Twitter handle egmnow. So don't forget to give us uh, that five-star review on iTunes. Give us a shout-out. Tweet us. Send us your questions and follow-ups to the show. We appreciate, appreciate you listening into this late hour. And on behalf of Molly and myself, thank you once again, GVGV pa- fans, as I'm speaking drunkenly. You're calling pants? GVGV yeah. pants? It's, it's taking a toll on me this evening here as we approach the 11 o'clock hour past my bedtime. But uh, thank you once again for listening and the support, and we hope to catch you soon. No